One of the last things my daddy told me was I should run from this place. You think that's right? I never thought I'd want to leave. But I suppose you fixed that too. Drop it. Duncan and both come correct. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of most ages. Welcome back to Duncan and Bo Go to Westworld, a tiny little division of Duncan and Bo Come Correct. See, I did it again. You did. I stand corrected, but just because you did it once doesn't mean you won't. Future, fuck it. Oh, so you're absolutely right, sir. Uh, hey, so uh, we are now past the halfway point in Westworld. We are on the uh, the the downhill slide of this program and the hidden trash shoot in a japanese park would you say yes we are we are zooming down the body shoot of uh, uh of a futuristic theme park uh i i think you know everyone knows that old expression duncan that old chestnut <laughs> yep uh, we all do it's like it's like killing three hamsters with one bagel Oh sure, I don't even use that anymore because it's offensive to hamsters. Yeah, or we we don't care about them over here in Scotland. So rodent Americans, as they're called, <laughs> um, they're animals, Duncan. Uh, <laughs> I have controversial hamster opinions. Um, <laughs> Apparently, so. <laughs> boy, I you know I had uh, a couple of hamsters when I was a kid. And even then, I think I appreciated the big lighter nature of that particular <laughs> pet. Like, what happened? One of them died. All right, get another one, I guess. <laughs> you don't you know, get. I, you don't have the same emotional attachment, say, to a hamster or gerbil that you would to, you know, say your dog. Mm. There's no. There's less true? personality. Like I've never, I've never met three or four hamsters where I thought, you know what, that hamster over there, he's a real asshole. <laughs> well, this one here is a charming motherfucker, <laughs> right? Now this. So whenever you walk in the room, whenever you walk in the room, it's just clicking its paws and going, "Hey, this guy!" <laughs> right. It starts the water bottle working by snapping its little rodent fingers. <laughs> hey. hey. Yo, Mr. C, yay. I don't know why there's a Fonzie hamster, but now I want one. <laughs> Fonzie hamster for the win, Bo. New, new from Dunboco, comes with its own little hamster leather jacket. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, may include such phrases as exactamundo, uh, correctamundo, and e. Yeah, but all in a hamster. It's going to be very hard yeah. to hear. Yeah, jukebox sold separately. <laughs> little hamster jukebox that plays nothing but uh like uh uh alvin and the chipmunks music oh god alvin and the chipmunks so like if you watch westworld you've seen all those really great interpretations piano ones asian ones uh, indian versions of of different pop songs it's just alvin and the chipmunk version <laughs> of the same songs it's like painted black done by <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be pretty good. <laughs> I've seen a line of cars. <laughs> Simon! 
<laughs> hey, so we like to start this show uh, by talking about what we've been uh, watching lately, good and bad. And I uh, always, Duncan, I am always interested to hear what you bring to the table because I watch a lot of crap. And so <laughs> you have to come along and, and, and tell me, no, no, here's a good movie you should watch. And then most of the time I do. Mm, interesting. Well, I um, have one that we have both seen, um, and I'll save that. Once again, I've went through another week without really watching anything that resembles trash. Um, although I was apprehensive about the movie I'm about to talk about. Uh, so I went to check out that, that new Han Solo movie, Bo. Oh, sure. Yeah. 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 Link. Yeah. Loose tenuous link back to fucking Hamster Fonzie. <laughs> it's like Ron Howard directed it. Well, and also, Ron Howard saved it. And Han Solo. Uh, well, apparently. But uh, Han Solo also not Fonzie unlike, you know? Mm, yeah, yeah. I see where you're going with that, and comparisons are apt. Actually, I think that's I think that's a good one. Um, so this one, if you've been following anything online, you know this one has been the one that the studio has been concerned about, and the fans have kind of been concerned about, mostly due to the fact that the original director, I think, was seventy percent through the project when he bailed. It's like, I've had enough, I'm out of here, you cunts can have it. Um, took his jacket and went home, and they brought in Ron Howard, who then, well, I think, reshot about 50% of what had already, be done, already been done, made some casting changes. Um, so if you are anyone that's seen a lot of films uh, in the modern era of, like, when you hear things like major reshoots and all the rest... Instantly you start to go, oh, that's not a good sign. And it's worth saying reshoots have happened in the kind of modern terms of filmmaking. Like right back to even in the 80s, the, the greatest example of that is The Fog. Carpenter's The Fog. Carpenter himself went back and reshot shitloads to make it scarier. At the time we watched it, thought it was okay, thought it could do with a bit of beefing up, but did so. Um, Steven Spielberg with Jaws. These things happen all the time, but in the modern era, but we just know about them as and when they're happening. So when you're six, seven, eight months out from the release date of a movie and you're hearing words reshoot, um, fans naturally get apprehensive. And I will say that as a Star Wars fan, but not like a Star Wars uber fan, um, when I heard that, I thought, uh, and then when I heard Ron Howard was being attached to it, I kind of equally went, uh, because... Ron Howard's done a lot of good, but he's also behind those Da Vinci Code movies, and those are shit. <laughs> like, like, really kind of big, massive action set pieces. Not a fan of them. Not a fan of them at all. Um, so I was wary, wary going into this. And I will say that it is a thoroughly enjoyable romp. I, I thought it was a ton of fun. Um, is it dark, twisted, and sinister, like some of the Star Wars universe? No. Right. Um, but it shouldn't be. Um, the Han Solo movie should be fun. That that's It should be a crime caper, and yeah. that's exactly what it is. Um, I, I, I loved 
elements of this movie to a level that I didn't think I would. Um, MVP of the movie has to go to Donald Glover as Lando, who is almost movie... He almost steals the movie um, with ease. Like... He's so like Donald Glover just now can do no wrong for me as a huge fan of Childish Gambino. His his music has been on point. As the the fact that he's slowly building up this huge empire um, of of performances and music and all the different things he's getting into. He's a real power player now, and he is perfect as Lando. I mean, so is the guy they've got to play uh, a young Harrison Ford. The the voice is there. The kind of cockiness of a New Hope is certainly there, it kind of tempered with the opportunistic cowardice of the, the solo character as well. Um, the relationship between him and Chewbacca, like because we get their origin, is brilliant. Um, his involvement first meeting the Millennium Falcon, which is handled really well. Um, there's a couple of... Speaking about a, an HBO show, Bo, that we uh, are both into a little Westworld, uh, Maeve is in a great role, actually. Very Maeve-like, to be honest with you. I think they've probably seen her in Westworld and cast her off the back of it. Nice. But she's, in it. she's a great character. She plays alongside Woody Harrelson, who's great in the movie. Paul Bethany is the villain. Paul Bethany was a Ron Howard um, actor that was brought in. So, you know, I, I believe it was kind of, from what I've heard on the grapevine, is it was a kind of like a Samuel L. Jackson thing, where Samuel L. Jackson was just like, you know, I, I, I really want to, I really want to be a, a Jedi and I really want a purple lightsaber and George Lucas was like okay uh, and I think Paul Bethany had basically tweeted Ron Howard to say you know I've got a bit of time coming up never been in a Star Wars movie and they cast him as a villain and he's fucking incredible in it I, I, like Paul Bethany to me has always been a, a great actor who unfortunately got lumped with some questionable movies. I'm looking at you, Legion, uh, and that other one that he did. What was that one where he was like a oh, it was like a post-apocalyptic church movie. Uh, I think it was just called Priest, right? Oh, it was hot garbage. Yeah, yeah it's uh, not good. <laughs> like, yeah, you call it Priest, I call it Shahit. Um, so, it was not good. And what the title was. He got landed with a couple of these roles and it never really worked in my head why he would be given those parts because Paul Bethany's not a guy that when I look at him like that post-apocalyptic warrior hero never thought that when I looked at him uh, villain definitely but so he's he's great in it as well there's a couple of elements of the movie which suffer a little bit and because it's a prequel a lot of the danger they set up with certain characters you know if you're a fan of the franchise, if you're a fan of the, the story and the mythology, there's no danger there. You know what I mean? Like I, I right. know Han Solo survives this movie. So any threatening situations, putting him like that, but no, he's getting through this. You know what I mean? I think we're safe here. But yeah, I thought, I, I thought it was fun. There's a nice retro feel to it as well. There's a kind of... It reminded me a lot of the kind of aesthetics of A New Hope. Um, once again, attention done to kind of practical animatronics as opposed to CGI. Um, and this is their first one they've done where there really isn't a Jedi character in it. You know, there isn't the Force in this movie because this is a Han Solo movie. Right. Um, but I and think- we even get... 
that seems fine so to it, me. Like you, you, they should be able to do if they're going to make a bunch of these Star Wars movies. I I think dumping a Jedi into everyone just for goofs. It's pointless. Right. It's, at, it's, a, it's, at a certain point, it becomes a you know a trope that is expected in these movies. And the one thing that I will hand to Marvel in in building their sort of offshoot universe movies is they're not afraid of just like, oh, this kind of doesn't matter to the rest of the world at large. It's yeah. just going to be a story for this character. Yeah. Well, the thing is, there are so many kind of throwaway comments in those earlier Star Wars movies that you could pin a movie on. You know what I mean? So I, I never, like, up until watching the solo movie, I, I had no interest in Harrison Ford's, you know, hand Solo origins at all. No interest in it. Um, but then they're like that. How about we set up kind of how he becomes the pilot, how he gets the Falcon, and how you know breaks a Kessel Run record? You know, <laughs> Let, let's let's swing that all into one movie. And when you get into it, you're like, actually, this works. There's been a bit of time, a bit of care, and a bit of consideration to actually making a story. Yes, it's been kind of butchered and twisted and contorted through just the reshoots that it's went through, but it cohesively ran. It, it's over, I think it's just over two hours. It flew in. It felt like a, like an hour and a half tops. Um, and yeah, I was hard pushed to see that I disliked anything about the movie. Do I think it's the best one? No. Um, I think it needs to be the best one. No, I think if you were were doing these little kind of spin-offs, I think they've already just talked about the next one. Greenlit's going to be Boba Fett once again. Another character I have no interest in at all. I mean, he's a bit character, and it, you know, he's a bit character in Return of the Jedi. One that they tried to flesh out a whole lot more in those prequels, which just turned out to be a fucking mess. Um. So yeah, I'm not really interested about a kind of rogue villainous bounty hunter's origin story at all. That being said, I like the universe. I like the Star Wars universe. I like the the fact that you have the Empire in the background. I kind of like that. And depending on when they set it, you can bring in like you know we might have a you know an appearance from like a Darth Vader or something. There was a really interesting appearance by a certain character in Solo, which I will tell you about because I don't want to spoil anything. I, I already recording. know about it, but yes. Oh yeah, like well I literally sat and I it broke my brain. Like I was sitting in the cinema going, so when is this movie set? Because I was trying to do the chronology, you know that way where you're trying to work things out because I'm like, he can't be is he? And then I, you know, I, I, once again, not being a huge fan of all the other stuff they've done in the interim, like with all the comics and all the cartoons and stuff, I found that, yeah, that character apparently has been around in, you know, the, the, the cartoon world for ages, and I just didn't know about it. And instantly, the Pam's got a bit sweaty, and I was like, that. I'd watch a movie about him, because it was legit the only reason you'd watch any of those prequels at all. Um, and the biggest mistake they ever done in the entire franchise was getting rid of them when they did. Uh, so yeah, so I, I thought very fun movie. I mean, it's a three and a half out of five for me. You know, it's it's not a you know I really liked it. And rush out and see it now, but certainly if that's the sort of movie they're going to start doing as these kind of standalone side stories to Star Wars, 
I feel kind of less apprehensive about it. I mean, Rogue One, I thought was a was a good movie. It was a really good movie, but it is so bleak. I mean, so bleak. Probably the most nihilistic one out of the entire series of all of them. That you get to the end of it, and you're just like you feel a bit crushed. And I don't want a ton of those movies because if there's one thing the Star Wars franchise always kind of had on its side is even during the darkest moments, there was a way to have fun with the movies, whether it was a goofy droid or, you know, something funny happening to a character in the background or an interaction between characters that reminded you that, you know, the characters were well written, that I don't, you know, I don't want just all these really, and then the Empire destroyed this planet, and then the Empire destroyed this planet, and see this orphan child, Darth Vader stood on him. You know, like I, I don't need, I don't. Yeah, need those that, yeah. So. That was kind of my problem with uh, uh, Force Awakens. Was just it was yeah. a little too much of that. Yeah, I think the, I think that's to me why the Last Jedi felt like I enjoyed that. I know there was a lot of people. Once again, a lot of people that didn't like that movie, but I liked it because people were like, "Oh, it's got weird, goofy humor," and I'm like, "Have any? Has anyone watched?" you know, like Empire Strikes Back or A New Hope. I did, or, or Return of the... Did anyone watch these? Because they are riddled with goofy humour. Um, and the fact that they played into that, I thought was kind of fun and kind of keeping in, in the spirit of the original the original run. So yeah, it was, it, it was, a, it was a surprising little movie for me because I genuinely thought I was going to go in and watch it and come out and be like, yep. Uh, that's what happens when you cut a movie up, change directors, and start fucking around with it. But no, um, to Ron Howard's credit, surprise, surprise, Ron Howard, um, you know, veteran of filmmaking, managed to to piece together and put out a a, a watchable movie. Well done, Ron Howard. Um, sure. So yeah, that's that's the that's the one that I wanted to talk about. Which, Look, like I say, I may have been bad, but turned out it was a lot more fun than I expected. Uh, I uh, I don't. How to how to phrase this? Because I'm kind of knee jerk uh, these days. Like, eh, I'm just not that interested in Star Wars. I just feel like I've been burned too many times lately. Uh, yep. I just haven't liked the new stuff, and I don't uh, try to talk anyone out of their fandom or anything. I, I think if you're enjoying the new Star Wars movies, that's great. They're just not for me uh, because it's a little too much of. Oh, hey, remember that thing from the movies? Yeah. You know, the ones that you like. And even Rogue One hit me like... Well, I think Rogue One just has a lot of problems. But the... Uh, so a friend of mine goes to see uh, the Han Solo movie. And I said, okay, let me ask you a series of questions of things I don't want to see in this movie. But I'm almost 100% sure are in this movie. And I said, is the Kessel Run in there? And he was like, yeah. I was like, is him meeting Chewbacca for the first time in there? And he was like, yeah, that's in there. And I said, is there, uh, uh, what was the other one? Oh, uh, winning the Millennium Falcon from uh, Lando. Lando Calrissian. Is that in there? He was like, yeah, that's in there. And I was like, those are the three things I don't want to see in a Han Solo movie. Because yeah, but I think they're done really well. I, I think that's but, the difference. I think if right, they were just so. playing lip service as like a, a kind of passing thing, they've managed to fit it into a story which makes sense. 
And it's done in it like the way he wins the Millennium Falcon is a really fun way that when you watch, you'll smile. You just will smile because it's the, the Kessel Run thing. I think is one of the one of the cooler things I've seen. And well, it's that thing you talk about. We we spoke about this many many years ago when they talked about the the Force Awakens. I think when that first trailer came out, and you made a comment about seeing someone in a starfighter and just being kind of in awe of the fact that they were flying a starfighter, um, which you just didn't see in any of those prequels at all. You know, no one seemed all that in awe that they were you know, now fighting for the rebellion or doing something they'd never done before or, you know, the, the kind of the, the, the feeling of, of wonder is, is not in those movies. They're devoid of them. And that's what the solo movie has in spades because they have a guy you, once again, you get like, there, there is a bit, of, there has to be a bit of lip service in there, you know, to the, the fans because it's a character you know. So you kind of have to do it. And I would argue it's absolutely no different than when you're watching a Marvel movie and, you know, there is a reference paid in the background which is purely lip service to comic book fans that gets your palm sweaty and makes you smile. Um, you know, it's, it's exactly the same idea. It's, it, my friend that went with me had never seen a Star Wars movie before. Same age as me. Never seen any of them. And at the end, he was like, oh, yeah, it was a fun movie. And... As he was like, um, he's like, I don't understand. You know, there was a shot that lingered on a on a blaster. I don't know why it lingered on it. I was like, because that's Han Solo's blaster. That's the one you see him later on in the movies with. And he's like, that ah, all right. And I was like, so you know, it kind of reveals how he gets that, um, and maybe implies maybe where he gets some of his gun skills from. And like, that's purely there for fans. That's purely there for people that have seen the movies. Had you not seen it, it didn't detract from. But he did think at the time, you know, that seems quite interesting. And I'm the same watching any Marvel movie. I sit there and I'm like that. Why are we spending so much time kind of with this conversation with this character that I have no interest in? And then later on find that he's Hawkeye or some shit like that. You know what I mean? All these things were like that. If you're a fan of it, you are instantly in. Because you're like, oh, look at that. That's so cool. Look what they've done here. And all those after credit sequences, which meant nothing to me. I'm like, oh, Samuel L. Jackson's here. Wearing an eye patch, don't understand what that means. Um, oh, yeah. he's Benicio del Toro, but he's collecting stuff. Don't know what that means, you know. And, and yeah. they're flung at the end of a movie, like for, and that's purely so fans will get excited about the next movie. And it's like Star Wars is no different. Star Wars has to cater to its fans as well. It's like you see, if you are invested in it, you like. It. I think it's impossible to do a solo origin movie and not tackle. Like the castle run, right, I think that has to be done because it's the thing he always talks about. But that's my my problem, and it's kind of my problem with the Marvel movies, which have kind of course corrected a bit about this. Is I'm just kind of tired of origin movies. I don't want to yes, see yeah. the I, I don't want to see the thing that I like becoming the thing that I like. I just want it to be the thing I like. And, yep, I I'm 100 with you, 100. <laughs> and and what I really wanted out of a Han Solo movie, and I've heard enough good things that I, I genuinely will see this movie. I don't think I'll see it in the theater, but I'll, I'll make more of a point to see this because I still haven't seen Last Jedi. Because everything I, I heard what? about that movie was like, you're not gonna give a shit about any of this. Um, uh, I think I think it's so. So unlike The Force Awakens that I think you'll like it. 
maybe so and and I'll get around to it at some point it, it but it's just not my thing you know yeah I, again not not telling someone else it shouldn't be their thing it's just not mine and to your point yeah when when they make an oblique reference to Captain Marvel in Infinity War I'm like mm-hmm. fucking Captain Marvel y'all everybody see that did everybody <laughs> everybody see what just happened there? slapping and, the guys at Visage right like high five and strangers and whatnot <laughs> and yeah because that's just my bag that's just the stuff yeah. that I think is is really fun um that's my own nostalgia and yeah. and and I I am perfectly nostalgic for two of the three original <laughs> Star Wars films and but I, I think that was just the thing. I think even as a kid, I, I wasn't as crazy about Jedi. And so the the trilogy as a whole has never lived in my memory as this, you know, perfect triumvirate of cinematic sci fi fantasy achievement. It's like there yeah. are two really good movies and then one that's got a bunch of fucking puppets. <laughs> to its detriment, unfortunately. <laughs> Not the cool Yoda puppet, these little furry motherfuckers. <laughs> So, but but the way you're describing Han Solo does it appeal to me. I would have just preferred a movie that starred a young Han Solo doing his own thing. And yeah, you can drop in a thing or two here, and maybe that's ultimately the movie they made. But as soon as I was like, the Kessel Run is the most obvious thing in the world. There should just be yeah. a little hint of mystery to this character still. We shouldn't see every moment that is referenced in the later movies paid off in this one just because, like, yeah. hey, remember that thing he said one time in Empire? That's in this movie, too. I challenge you to find any prequel that doesn't do that, though. Yeah, and I think maybe that's the thing, is I'm just against prequels uh, as a rule. Mm-hmm. You know, the more I think like, about pre- it... Prequels, prequels, by their very nature, are usually born out of something someone has seen in that first movie um or first time they've been introduced to someone and heard something and thought oh we can we can we can flesh this out and make a story out of it or you money um, just straight up money or, yes oh, oh money oh, listen the, the, there is no doubt in my mind that the disney machine i mean once again like set yourself to like star wars fatigue because this is the second year that two Star Wars movies will be out, and that's pretty much the pattern moving forward for the next five years. Um, and that's before the the Marvel thing, which has been announced to what twenty twenty five as well. Yeah, just I'm whenever. just like, oh, you know, what I mean, I like at, th- at this stage, I, I don't know, I don't know if I have it in me to mean like at, at the moment. I have an interest because there's a novelty factor with the Star Wars movies because I'm seeing them done better than those prequel movies, which I really genuinely was amped to see and was born so badly um, that at this stage, I don't know if I can sustain my interest in Star Wars for two years with another four big massive movies with spin-off stories and all the rest. But to me, how they should do it is... In a lot of ways, like how they are handling the Cloverfield thing right now, which is really, it's different styles of storytelling and different styles of of kind of, that almost felt like it feels like different genre influences 
being put in the movies and then just running with them one and done right so you know if if the boba fett movie came out and it, it happened to be more samurai inspired um then you know i'd be i'd be totally into that because it feels different and then you know if i, I obviously not a princess leia story but if a princess leia story did happen and it was more you know geared towards like a, a, like drama like, sci-fi or right something. like her, her trying some... to get the school the galactic talent show in order <laughs> she has to solve a mystery along the way the or something yeah this is we have to but you know if they if they tackle it in different ways then i'm interested the solo movie is ostensibly a heist movie and that works for me because the guy's a smuggler, right? Sure. So that works right. for me. Yeah. If if you play into those things and try and make them feel authentic within the character's predefined characteristics and, you know, equip that to genre influences, once again, Rogue One, when you're watching that, you're thinking, I'm thinking D-Day Landings and all the rest when I'm watching that movie. Um, when you start bringing in those sort of that's when they're interesting to me if it's just this homogenous run of very slickly put together star wars films for the next five years then i will check out next year because i'll have no interest because it's just watching the same movie over and over again and that's my gripe with we spoke about before the marvel movies that stand out to me are the ones that feel macro in comparison to the you know the wider universe, your Ant Man, your Guardians of the Galaxies are the ones that I really enjoy because they feel so far removed from the bigger stories and the bigger characters that I, I can feel I can just sit and relax when I watch those movies and when right, I watch you the have other to ones. Take notes. <laughs> yeah, I literally like to, to mind map like where where everything's going and how every conversation has a bit of importance and where this might go or where this might lead or what it might be alluding to. You don't have to do that with other ones. And I, I and once again, Ant Man to me is a heist movie. Oh you yeah, know, you watch that, that it, first one. It's, uh, exactly. I what totally it is. get yeah. into that. Yeah, I can totally get into that because it's it's putting a spin on the superhero thing in a way that's interesting to me. So that's you know like if star wars wants longevity they need to do the same and if they don't do the same i think what you will find is that that will i mean solo didn't do as good as they thought it was going to do um it still did well i mean it still took in what 300 fucking million or something in its first weekend but as a star wars movie goes that's not a lot you know what i mean that's yeah not it, a huge amount of money it underperformed against rogue one uh yeah i know so i let's see the uh i was trying to find the recent numbers because i I was gonna mention that briefly i don't want to uh obsess too much over uh the you know the box office part of it but i to your point about them releasing two star wars movies a year Mm -hmm. uh, there was some pushback or, or some sense of um hey maybe we don't need to push one of these out every few months yeah and and so domestically solo has made about 110 million dollars which ain't nothing but also considering the money that was put into it and the marketing and blah 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 like that thing's got to make 
what probably 500 million to break even. Oh yeah. Yeah. So yeah. so right and it will it will yeah, sure. you know It'll but it, that, it should have been it should have made a a huge chunk of that like more than half by now. You know what I mean? It should have charted more than half by now just because of the, just because of what it is. It's a Star Wars movie. Right. And and you know they they pointed to a lot of things like hey man like Infinity War and Deadpool 2 are both still in theaters and if you want to push to a late show you can probably still catch Black Panther uh, yep. which which both Infinity War and Black Panther they're just kind of jockeying for which movie is going to hit like 2 billion first yeah and so it's one of those things of like everybody went to those movies and I don't know that the pitch for Solo to an audience that has been getting just left rioted with these big tentpole movies, and it ain't even June yet. Yeah, it's, it's weird though to me because it's, I mean, removing, you know, Deadpool from the conversation here, it's all Disney. Yeah, it's you know them I mean? competing with themselves, sure. Like, no matter how badly Solo does or, or how well it does, Infinity War kind of did well enough that they could make a couple of Solos. Oh, they, yeah, they could They could have, like, one or two. They could have one or two John Carters this year, and they're walking away fine. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, th- like, this year, I, I think uh, they've already surpassed their... Uh, like records for how much money they've made in a year already or something. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's something crazy, you know, but black Panther blew up. Like nobody expected that movie to do what it did. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I don't, I, I just, as, as a weird thing, cause it, there's a conversation that spins off this for another time, specifically about Disney and what it's doing just to, to the market share of, of theatrical cinema, which I'm not, I'm not the biggest advocate for, if I'm honest. Sure, but yeah, yeah, like I say, that's a a conversation for another time. Let's let's swing into the. That's just one movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Let's swing into the second one. So both of us watched this one. We both kind of back back and forwarded this one as a kind of good movie. And I don't know if this was the one you were planning to talk about as your good. Um. But we both watched a certain little genre flick called Revenge. Yeah, nasty little bit of business. <laughs> a ton of fun. I, I I thought it had all the kind of style of like all the kind of visual style and neonness. Even though there's not a lot of neonness, but it just felt neon. And there's the, the soundtrack. There is a scene with the boyfriend on a motorcycle that could be a Daft Punk video. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and like, it's like, this is inappropriate to the movie, but it's kind of the vibe that it's laying down. And, brother, I am picking it up. Yeah, it, it, weirdly, it weirdly reminded me. I don't want, like I say, I don't think, I want to say aesthetically it reminded me. And I don't think under scrutiny I am right. But I just got this wind and reffing vibe sure. right off this. Yeah, like, 100%. straight away. Yeah, if he um, shot a movie in the desert, it, it would look much like this. Yeah, and I mean, this I I don't know how many movies this director's made. I don't think it's many. And um, it's, he's already got a very pronounced visual eye, which I liked. Um, the soundtrack is done by 
a guy who goes under the name Rob, who did the soundtrack for the Maniac remake, which I fucking love. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, so it's all like synth based and I, you know, just phenomenal. The practical effects are incredible, like really, really squelchy. It's a gory, violent little movie. Um, the one thing it didn't have, and I am very glad that it didn't have, was I had heard comparisons specifically, not just from the kind of subject matter overall of the, the kind of story, but I heard a lot of comparisons to, you know, things like I Spit in Your Grave. Sure, sure. Um, and it is not that movie at all. If anything, I think it's more in line with Kill Bill than it would be, you know, uh, an I Spit in Your Grave. It really doesn't have... Whilst it's a kind of grimy little movie, it's not that sort of grimy little movie. Right. You know, I didn't feel like I needed to take a shower and just stare into the abyss and have the abyss stare back at me for an hour in solitude, wondering why man does horrible things to man. Um, you know, it, 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 it wasn't that sort of yeah. It's nasty, and what happens to the the girl in the movie isn't great, but it doesn't it doesn't linger on it in a, a kind of. A, an exploitative pornographic way. Yeah, there. Um, I mean, it, it's worth saying there is a rape scene, and this is a rape revenge film. Uh, that's yeah, and, hence the name revenge, right? Folks. And and so. d- directed by Coralie Fargier, uh, yep. who is a lady for uh, for what it's worth. And the rape scene that is uh, presented in the film, it is not like irreversible or something like that. It is. It's creepy and it's gross, but it's not in any way exploitative. Yeah. And so it feels like once you get past that scene, because that's the thing I'm always worried about in a movie like this, is like, how far are you going to go at this point? Yeah. Because that sets the tone. Mm-hmm. And I don't think even in the rape scene, other than you see her ass a little bit, I I don't think there's e- even any direct nudity. No. And... It's mostly implied, but it's still terrible. I don't want to minimize the effect of the scene or nothing. Just to say that it's not the grossest rape scene you ever saw. And so then when it takes its turn into being a little over the top and ridiculous, it feels, that feels fine. It's, we're not, we're not selling short this dramatic sexual assault. It's just like, oh, that was a thing that happened. It's presented as tastefully, I guess, as as you could in a movie like this. And now we're going to spin into just being bloody as shit. Yeah. There was Shades as well. Um, a very loose comparison. But once again, when I'm watching like movies like this, I think about other things, you know, that, you know, just like little... I don't even know if they are influences to the, the filmmaker. But there is a kind of almost a death proof you know the the Tarantino. Uh-huh. There, there's a, there's a vibe of that as well about particularly the, the rapist character, um, who in one situation really gets off on being in control and being the you know the powerful one, um, but when the shoes on the other foot, he is a bit of a sniveling coward. Um, that I kind of I kind of loved as well. Uh, yeah, I, just a bonkers. Like really squelchy, gory, nasty, fun little movie. You know, a proper genre movie. Like, it's one of those ones where, when I got about halfway into it, and there's a particular we've we've spoken about this kind of 
offline, but there's a there's a kind of fake dreamlike sequence which is played a number of times which every single time it happened i still found myself going oh <laughs> like yeah not expecting them to you're not going to pull the same trick oh you have and you just got me again well surely yeah. no nope, you got me again um and i kind of i kind of i could feel myself smiling watching the movie because i was just having a ball with it and if you're gonna do that sort of movie if you're gonna lean into that which if we talk about the movie, I think we may touch on in a second on your list. Um, had those filmmakers leaned into what they should have a la this sort of movie, it would have worked, but they didn't. Uh, and this one, they knew, the, the filmmaker knows exactly what they're doing um, and has went as ridiculous and preposterous as they can without it being to the stage where you are completely taken out of the movie by what you're watching. Uh, and that's not an easy thing to do is to take it to the line but not cross the line and they do it really well here yeah it is a half step away from japanese splatter but airs on the tasteful side of that line um (laughs) yeah leave it to the french to update american grindhouse in a successful way um Mm -hmm. it it is a good old-fashioned drive-in movie except everything about it is a little bit more polished and cool. Yeah. And, uh, but it's super fun, man. And and big shout out to Matilda Lutz uh, as the uh, the main character, Jennifer. And oh, she's brilliant. She's, she's fantastic. I mean, she's just perfect for this movie. She's obviously a beautiful, beautiful woman. Uh, but yeah, it can both play that sort of coy and sexy and then straight up homicidal uh <laughs> the, there's there, there is a chase sequence uh in in the final act of this movie that is one of the cooler things i've seen in a movie lately it's yeah really it's, it's good. brilliant yeah it's brilliant yeah <laughs> it's yeah it's a it's a great movie it, it's 90 minutes probably something like that i don't think it's it's very long at all uh maybe hour 40 something but at any rate, it it flies by. It is super stylish and and gorgeous to look at. And uh, there's this mix of people speaking French, which always sounds better than American. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> uh, it yeah, it's just it's this cool little weird uh, drive-in film that is better than any other drive-in. It, like it's a drive-in movie that doesn't belong in a drive-in. It belongs in a real theater, uh, but. Also, if you saw it at a drive-in and there was a little grain on it, it would also make a lot of sense. Yeah, totally. Totally. Right, Bo, I will shut up now because I'm monopolized a lot. What are you going to talk about? Uh, Man, all right. So uh, I watched a little thing called uh, Terrifier recently. (laughs) And uh, slight spoilers for the Devour the Podcast that is about to land. Um, I, yeah, I didn't care for that movie much at all. That movie, no, you're like me. <laughs> but it was weird because the more I think about it, the more I don't like it. it, it yep, the same as me. <laughs> I I think it is adolescent. You know, it is the movie Eli Roth wishes he had made first. Mm. Um, that <laughs> I I just yeah I like I'm. The question that I still have about 
this movie and, and kind of this character is, am I supposed to be rooting for him? Is he supposed to be the protagonist? Because mm-hmm. if it's the other characters in the movie, you're doing a real shit job of making them protagonists. Yeah. And if you're just offering them up to the slaughter in service of your real protagonist, which is this, you know, maniacal clown, then what is supposed to be funny or amusing or entertaining about any of this? It it just becomes sadistic. And yeah. that's just not what I want. Like, I like a mean-spirited movie. I like a bloody movie. I just don't like a movie that's own internal philosophy is that mean-spirited and sadistic. You know? Like, I don't watch those August Underground movies... Uh, because, you know, all, Hey, technically they're awful. And, and, uh, terror. The one thing I will say about terrifier is that it is, it is competently done. I think across the board, I think the effects work is really good, but Mm -hmm. I think that's all in service to just kind of a bad attitude (laughs) and, and not, not one that I respond to as like, yeah, that movie doesn't care. Like, like escape from New York or something. That has this nihilistic attitude, but it's one I can really get behind and adore. This is a kind of brutal, stupid nihilism that has no thought behind it. It's just shit that happens on screen. And, and I, yeah, I really don't like it. Yeah, I don't, I don't get like the comparisons that I heard before watching it was, you know, it was great to see kind of 80s slashers coming back and I just don't think people watch enough 80s slashers at all, like really because there is absolutely not one character in this movie at all that I remotely gave a single solitary fuck about like even a little bit Um, they're all uh, they're all flat there's no spark. There's nothing behind any of them. The to me, I, I, the way I describe it to you is, I think it is a one note film that struggles to get. I can see why. My understanding is that this is spot kind of spun out of a short from an anthology. Which I this watched. Character. Yeah, I, uh, All Hallows Eve is the name of it, and I watched it yesterday. As a matter of fact, and it's a worse movie than Terrifier, to be sure. Um, so this is an improvement on the last film from this director, but it's just all, all of it's, all of it's the stupid adolescent version of what these movies should be. And he ignores the fact that like 80 slashers to your point are all morality plays to one degree or another. And this movie has no morality. Yeah. It has, it has nothing at all. The kind of smiling clown that's, you know, all right, he's kind of sadistically cutting up something, right? That's right for maybe one or two scenes that works, but it's just it's relentless and not in a way where I can use that word as a compliment. Um, yeah, I like I when I finished watching it, I think I posted on like the like I posted online saying, you know, not for me, not for me. I, I would have probably scored it at that point, maybe a two and a half out of five. Um, as the weeks have went on, it's dropped about a one for me. I, I genuinely think it's a bad movie. I don't think it's a good movie at all. I don't think even the, the, the things that the movie does well, like the special effects, 
Um, or like uh, to me, that's uh, I've said it many times. Special effects does not a good movie make. You know what I mean? Uh, to me, you can't. A movie has to be. When I'm talking about specific good things in a movie, um, you have to start thinking. You know, like plot. So what is the what is the purpose of Terrifier? I, I still don't know. Right, it's a snapshot in one night of when some characters who are removed quickly and then new characters are introduced about halfway through that once again couldn't give a fuck about because why would I? They've just been introduced. Um, you know, are, are brought in as more fodder. I, I don't, I don't get it. I don't, I don't get it at all. I don't know what they're trying to do. I don't understand. I don't understand the, and it is the love. It's, it's so much uh, marketing behind this movie. Um, as trying to tout it as the net, you know, whatever his name is, the clown uh, art, isn't it? It's art yeah, the clown. Art the clown. Yeah. yeah, as as the as the next big horror icon, and. I'm like, you're trying... To, that's not how horror icons work. It's like saying, I'm making the next great cult movie. That's not how a cult movie's made. A <laughs> right. cult movie... You know, a cult movie takes 10, 15 years to acquire cult status because it has a small following of people that constantly champion the movie and then eventually some big journalist will come across it and then bring it back to the attention it grows from there. You know, that's how a cult movie's made. And that's how horror icons are made as well. You don't you don't have people telling you this is your next big horror icon. You know, before you've fucking seen the movie and even once you've watched the movie, it takes time for that to spin out. It takes time for that to breathe in. And he's just not a character I can ever imagine spending any time watching any other scenes with him in it. I just thought he was fucking boring. Um and yeah, so fuck that. I, 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 I didn't like it. I didn't like it. Um, and the, the like, very much like yourself, the more I think about it, the more I get annoyed by it. Right. Yeah. I, I'm glad we're on the same page with this one. Uh, I think if you really loved it, we would have to like have a substantive conversation <laughs> about where our lives have led. Uh, yeah, if you if you like to know, listener, then that's great. I've, I'm always I've always been wanting to say I think that. I, I hate to live in a world where a movie's made and it just doesn't have any audience at all. Um, it's just not for me. The, the things it does in that movie, I I just... I see re- the revenge to me had the spirit and the fun of revenge being in Terrifier. Terrifier would have been a much better movie. Right. Well, because you know very firmly where the morality of that movie is placed. Exactly. It's like, okay, the hero of this movie is this girl who was flirty and sexy and fun and wonderful. And then a bunch of creepy old dudes had to fuck that up for everybody else. Mm -hmm. And so she has to murder them all. And I am both morally and philosophically comfortable with that. And I want to, I want her to succeed I want to see her <laughs> kill all these people in as bloody a possible fashion, and she does not disappoint. Mm-hmm. And and so, yeah, I'm totally on board. But that's the my, my biggest problem. If you like the movie Terrifier listeners, send Duncan a message so he can tell me. <laughs> who is the protagonist of that movie? 
Yeah, who 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 should I actually care about in that movie? Right, and it's because... it, and it can't be the the first girl's sister because I don't think that counts. There are just too many random characters floating around, and yeah, she's no more be... important than any of them. Yeah, it just can't be. I know less about her than I did about her sister. Right, I mean, she just shows up looking for her sister, and I'm like, all right, and then I'm like, and she's now, she's now our final girl? Question mark What? And also the question of why are these people dying? Yeah. You know, like ask yourself that question and give me the answer that, that you see there. Because again, if you're talking about the uh, original 80s slashers, like it, it sort of became the trope of, well, if you do drugs or have unprotected sex, that's that's how you get got. But even in the yeah. original Halloween, that... That stuff is kind of true, but it's more about, no, this just random wind blows in. Mm-hmm. And and these people, who are all very real characters, and I know who they're dating, and who they're fucking, and, you know, they're, they're friends, and whose father is this girl, and that kind of thing. Like, I know about those characters, so when they start dying, that, that bothers me. They're likable, familiar characters that you meet on the street in, you know, everyday America. Tell me the equivalent of that in terrifier i dare you yeah hey so let's let's talk about a good uh movie now instead of that awful Mm -hmm. film uh i am very glad though that we're (laughs) on the same page so uh i also uh finished up uh the oh yeah it's done i'm all finished with it now overall opinions bo dude it is so <laughs> fucking good. The terror. I I need them to play the terror back to back to back in a theater in Los Angeles for a weekend, so it can be my favorite movie of the year already. <laughs> Man, it ends so good. Like as much as I love that show, the places it goes. Like it's not an extreme horror kind of show or nothing. I don't want to present it the wrong way at the end of the day it is sort of a traditional survival story in a lot of ways but where you wind up in those last couple of episodes and some of the choices being made by these characters it's just the best man it's everything i want (laughs) in a television show it's raw and it's nasty and it's real but i also there are also these elevated characters you know these kind of pillars of of right and good standing up in the face of this situation and it's so good duncan it is so <laughs> narratively satisfying it is so viscerally satisfying the biggest complaint i have about the show is that the monster itself that is hovering around the edges of this story is kind mm-hmm. of the least important thing about it all right but that's also what i love about it and is that has it been renewed or is it is it just a one and done man or? i don't know how you would do a season two of this show it like it ends in a place that feels like an ending uh right. maybe right. maybe they go back and like all right we're gonna do the origin story of dr Goodsir <laughs> or something yeah but how we how we uh, bested the castle run and right you know you know here's here's how we learned about the tins um that there's a lot of stuff that happens in in the I'm, 
in the series itself that I am curious to read the book to see how it unfolds there. You know, it, it like I'll tell you, Duncan, th- this is a sneaky enough, sneaky enough, badass television show that it's it's trying to make me want to read, Duncan, and I don't appreciate that. <laughs> but here we are. Well, well, looky here! It looks like we got ourselves a reader. Uh huh. I'm. It, it really is a situation where. Like I, I think the book is like a thousand pages or something, and I'm like, you know what? That's a, that's a tall order, but I've also <laughs> read it a couple of times. I can probably yeah. manage, and I really do want to see what the the book is like. There, I have questions, and here's the other thing I love about the terror. And then I'll I'll shut up about it forever until you watch it. And then I can do my victory lap as you're like, I know, fucking, this is amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Is is that it felt it felt satisfying the way that reading a good book does. It it is a even though I haven't read it, it feels like a great adaptation of that material where it's all cinematic, but it's also very character rich. Much of the drama of the the series is about the particular personalities that are on this voyage Mm -hmm. and some of those payoffs are really really satisfying and great there are some kind of badass deaths in in this movie uh or in the in this show both you know surprising and there's there's one of those moments and i appreciate this in any kind of filmed entertainment duncan when you got a character that's like all right, if I'm going to go out, I'm going to go out as fucked up as possible. And <laughs> like knows full well, he's probably going to get it by a monster uh, at some point. So he straps a bunch of forks, tines out around him. So it's like, mm. if he's going to eat me, I'm going to go down sour, son. And <laughs> that kind of shit. like him just wait. It's like uh, at the end of... Uh, uh, the gray with Liam Neeson and his, you know, bandaged fists of metal claws or whatever the fuck he does in that movie, where it's just like, I'm squaring off and I'm about to fight me old pack of wolves. It's mm-hmm. that kind of shit. It's that kind of <laughs> stuff I love. I wish there had more been more in the gray. So you actually saw how some of that played out. But um, anyway, I, the terror is fucking amazing. It, it's, it is maybe the best thing I will watch all year. Mm-hmm. I like it more than Westworld. Uh, Westworld's not finished yet. I don't care. I, I West, like... No, no Boran's though. But Westworld is not finished yet. You're not allowed to say that until Westworld. Uh, all right. You're, you, perhaps you're right. But this is a, a show that... Uh, like, I, I love Westworld. There is no getting around that. But when I, when I watch The Terror... It always uh, left me in a mood that was sublime, mm-hmm. um, and and maybe that is the best thing I can say about that show. I find that show to be uh, sublime, and the terror uh, is all done now. If you haven't seen it, just you know, f- figure out a way. I'm sure there's some way to stream all ten episodes now, and and you should. It's just the best. So nice. there. 
Uh, well, it's on. It's you know, it's on the list. It's very high up on the list at the moment. Um, it's I, just trying to find time to get to it. I, I, I need to get like, it. I need to get it done like in the next two weeks because after that point, it's Teapot's top ten summer, which is a hundred movies for me. So yeah, seems it like doesn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it seems like a lot for me. Everyone else gets lit off lightly with twenty, um, but I have a hundred. So. Yeah, that, that's going to be go. fun. I, you know, I have seen those lists. I'm privy. I'm in the know, Duncan. Mm-hmm. And uh, without spoiling anything, here are all the movies on our list. <laughs> no, but the, the the movies we're talking about are like it's heavy hitters, man. There are bangers every year. It is. Yeah, yeah. There's, I think, no the only year around. where yeah, there's only one like the only. I think uh, Andy Blockley has landed a particular year, which I'll mention off air, where. I think we are at the stage where we're genuinely struggling to pick 10, though, <laughs> like just to get 10. Um, but uh, we, we will speak about that at our break. I would, is it late 80s, I'm sure? Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's when the whole horror yeah. genre is just like, well, what do we do now? We did all the crazy shit just a yeah. couple of years ago. Like, well, there's nothing left in the tank, man. We left I'll, it all out on the field way. in 83. <laughs> Yeah, let, let me put it this way. It is, uh, it is completely understandable why, like, the first four years of the 90s refused to acknowledge horror as a genre. <laughs> like, sure. It, yeah. So yeah. I think you'll find this is a psychological thriller. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Well, we'll talk about all that uh, this summer, as a matter of fact. Oh, uh, yeah. Those are going to be some great conversations. My God, the movies we're talking about. Uh, yeah, it is. It is something special, Duncan. Uh, how about this? How about I propose we take a break, and then we come back and we talk about the actual episode of uh, Westworld that we have come here to discuss. I think, Bo, that sounds like a sound investment of a listener's time. <laughs> Excellent. Well, check this out, and we'll be right back. Hello, everyone. I'm Rick Morgan. And I want to share with you a scientific breakthrough that can change your life. Many people struggle through life with personal imperfections, shameful actions, and bad habits. So I'm here to tell you that there is a cure. All you have to do is subscribe to the House of Wax Classic Horror Podcast. I've been subscribed for only two months, and my results have been amazing. But don't take my word for it. Listen to these subscribers' success stories. I used to have pampered chef parties at my house and murder everyone that would show up. But after listening to the House of Wax, I don't even cook anymore. I used to have bad teeth, but since subscribing to House of Wax, I show my pearly whites wherever I go. I suffer with the need of bestiality. But since House of Wax, I don't suffer anymore. Huh? Oh, no, no, I still love the animals. I just don't feel as guilty with House of Wax playing in the background. So if you need a new horror show, then listen to the House of Wax podcast. It might just save your life. House of Wax is a proud member of Legion Podcast. And you can actually see this show on the new YouTube channel. Just look up House of Wax. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, this episode of Westworld, uh, episode six in season two is called phase space, Duncan. Mm. 
And I would like to begin by describing what phase space refers to. Oh. Which is in dynamical system theory, which you're familiar with, Duncan. Yeah, I got my master's in it, so we're, we're, we're simmed. Uh, a phase space is a space in which all possible states of a system are represented, with each possible state corresponding to one unique point in the phase space. Yep. So well read. Basically, it's a graph that allows you uh, all the possibilities mapped out at once as if they all exist simultaneously. Mm-hmm. So, listeners, you are now informed, uh, and we'll be back next week. <laughs> no, uh, so this is uh, directed by uh, Tariq Saleh, Salah, Saleh, one of those. Um, all of those. All of them. And he has uh, directed a couple of features before. This is his one and only episode of, uh, of The Westworld. Mm. Um, so yeah, but well done. You know, it's a, a perfectly fine episode, slight spoilers, maybe not as good as the episode <laughs> right before, but, uh, yeah, I would, I would say it, it, it serves a, a serious purpose moving into the second half of this series. And yes, I would agree with you. Not as good as the previous episode or the one before that. However, I still thought there was a lot of things in here, which was kind of rad. So I'm looking forward to digging into it with you, Bo. Yep. Uh, also, uh, last uh, note here, written by Carly Ray, who uh, was also the writer on episode two. Ah, nice. So, uh, yeah. So, phase space begins. Um, oh, hey, one quick shout out to the last week on Westworld. Mm-hmm. Because uh, most of the time, it's just a general recap and blah, blah, blah. This one, for this week in particular, I thought was really cool because it's almost wordless. It's yep. just, here's a series of images, and this is all you need to know. Yep. Agreed. 100%. It was it was really cool. And my, my actual note is, uh, maybe this show just rocks. That just cover to cover, <laughs> front to back, this show just rocks. I think, yeah, I think it's, I, there's something very effortless about this season that I've really liked, you know, where it just feels like every episode, like, you know, we were like, in the first season, we were watching it and we we're going, right, so it's kind of good. I hope they don't fuck it up. You know, we we're kind of going through, right, well, I don't know where they're going with this story. Don't fuck it up. Uh, and we've kind of come into the second season. And I've kind of just given myself over to the fact that, yeah, it's just a really good TV show and the writers are really clever. And even some of the things that I picked out as being slight flaws have taken twists in this particular episode, which are, are moving in a way where I'm starting to think, actually, even my slight reservations I had about certain story character arcs that look like were being set up are now kind of where i'm thinking yeah actually if we keep going where i think we're now going then it's paid off in a way which feels great and i uh -huh. should never have doubted you shame on me yes <laughs> so. very sorry westworld uh <laughs> so we we open on a, a pretty cool scene with bernard and dolores and mm -hmm. this is sometime in the past it seems like 
Yeah, at first I thought, once again, Westworld, playing with timelines so cleverly, I thought this related to the first... Right, so the first episode we saw in season two, the opening scene was with Dolores and Arnold, and it wasn't clear where we were, and I had an inclination that it was set in the future, ahead of anything we've seen before, just because the, of the flash that Bernard had in his memory of things that we hadn't seen yet, where there's been indications that maybe these things are happening during this season. So when I saw this again, I was like, all right, we're going to flesh this bit out. We're going to get a bit of, you know, bit more meat on the bones here as to their conversation. Couldn't have been any more wrong, Bo. Couldn't have been any more wrong if I tried. Unless they're, once again, pulling the wool over my eyes. I'm with you. This one is very much rooted in the past. This one is, I think we can say safely, um, with, with no arguments here, it's set after... Arnold's death, but before Dolores is reprogrammed by Ford in such a way to be just a subservient robot host. Right. And and it's Bernard musing on the fact that he has this difficult choice to make because on the one hand, he is amazed by what Dolores is becoming, but it also frightens him. And Mm -hmm. he says... Uh, I'm I'm frightened of what you might become, and then Dolores freezes him because she's all woke. Dolores, it turns out, <laughs> and she says that's not right. He didn't say it like that. He never questioned his agency mm-hmm. and whether he had any right to do it. And she says, uh, "I don't want you to worry, Bernard. This is just a a, a regular test we do." And he says. What are you testing for? And Ooh, uh, and she says, fidelity. Which and like I got a boner right away. <laughs> right? She said this. I was like, oh, what the fuck? Where's wild? Yep, yep. Opening scene. Opening scene. So <laughs> then, uh, so we we leave. Uh, Bernard yeah, let's, let's, just there. in case this is your first episode listening to us and you want to come back uh, and listen to maybe some of the previous conversations that we've had on this, um, this is direct reference to what um, Papa Delos uh, went through in his transformation of his consciousness into a robot body. And we had the same conversation over and over again, which we used as fidelity to prove that the memories, the anima, so to speak, of... Uh, Big Papa D um, were transferred into a host and were stable. Um, and it would appear, from what we're seeing, the similar process was happening in well Bernard's body, but ostensibly with with Arnold's um, brain, his thoughts, his life force. Um, and we don't know how many times this is tried. We don't know why Dolores is administering it. Um, is this what Arnold's secret experiment? You know, is this after the kit? Like, oh, like instantly throws up about a million questions, but all of them so sexy, bro. Like, so mm-hmm. so sexy. I'm just like, yeah, this show, fucking straight like opening scene, first three minutes, and I'm like, what does this mean? <laughs> right, right, teasing out a little bit more of like, what is the relationship between these characters? Why is she testing him 
and mm-hmm. why has she done it so many times? Like, who is on the other end of that instruction? Uh, oh, it's a, very interesting. So, so we, uh, if you remember, Duncan, when last we saw um, woke two woke Teddy, he was being <laughs> reprogrammed by Dolores because he was too weak. You're, you're so weak, so weak, and. <laughs> So he had to be reprogrammed into what I like to call New Jack Teddy. Oh, nice. That's not where I was going, but I, I, I think I prefer your one, Minks, with Stone Cold Teddy. Uh, also not bad. Uh, yeah, because I just, I just love this idea of after every brutal line he says, and there are many of them in this episode, he just says, and that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold Steady Stencil. And he like, smashes a couple of beers, and then Stone Cold Stunners, Vince McMahon. That's a wrestling reference. I don't get it, but I'm willing to roll with it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't. Think... I'm just giving. I'm just giving something that Darren can have fun with this week. Sure. So, uh, Stone Cold Teddy rolls into Sweetwater <laughs> while Dolores is at the player piano, the machine playing the machine, Duncan. Oh, oh, oh! On oh, the metaphor. Oh. Yeah. And so Stone Cold Teddy rolls into the saloon where Dolores has been playing, and she seems a little tentative at first. She's like, "So, are you?" crazy dr lecter and <laughs> he he's like hey what are we fucking around in here for Ain't eh? we got a train to get on or something and she <laughs> yeah, like, like <laughs> you ever seen the movie um i'm gonna get you sucker oh yeah 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 so our main character wherever he walks his theme music is actually played by a band behind him. His theme band plays whenever he walks. He's like, he's like happy funk music. His like hero music. I just love this idea of Teddy up until this point, wherever he's been walking, it's been like Ben Folds Five or some really, uh, he's a brick, but sure. you know, all this stuff. <laughs> like, go, but not anymore. Like, where, like <laughs> walks in the door and it's just like, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. It's just the opening just totally... of Thunderstruck over and over. Just that. Da, la, 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 la. <laughs> na, 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 na. It's just like yeah, Thunderstruck. Thunder! Like constantly. <laughs> yeah, and well, he's totally. And what I love about this is, um, like James Marshall's. He's, he's this is what I wanted from him. Like, like Marshall's like it's a great act. He's a great actor, and he's been kind of he's been. He's still been playing. Even he's, his character really hasn't changed that much, you know, in the scope of the overall show. And now we're getting a change for him. And I'll be honest with you, up until this point, had never considered him potentially being a villain in a movie. Can completely see it now after this. Yeah, he just he he does become stone cold. He is a a can do kind of guy. <laughs> and Dolores is like, you're you're looking good. And he says, uh, you know, the man that stepped off that train a thousand times was weak and born to fail. And he Mm -hmm. says, you fixed him. And then they go out to inspect said train. And Dolores, uh, really it's more Angela than Dolores, but Angela is about to pull a hitcher on one of the guards uh, that they've captured <laughs> and has them strung between a couple of rail cars is like... Cool, I hit you. I'm amazing. <laughs> and uh, 
they're like, well, all you got to do is tell us where Abernathy is. And he's like, oh, like I legitimately can't tell you where he is. It's a mm. big place. I don't have access to it all. Yeah, Hale's behind it. Hale, you know, she is the boss woman. There, there could be places in the building that I don't even know about. Um, right. So, yeah, I don't fucking know. Right. And then you hear... Thunder! And Stone Cold <laughs> Teddy... <laughs> marches up to the guy and puts a bullet through his head. Yeah, just like fucking guns us no preemptive warning or anything not like i'm gonna cock the gun and maybe that'll make him talk he's just like this guy is holding him up from going where they need to go so you know what that means this guy it needs to go right that he is no longer of use to us and the his best use is to serve as a warning to the guy on his knees beside him <laughs> so let's make that happen who, by the way, does not fare much better at the hands of Teddy in this episode either. No. no. Although it's a great line. We'll get to it. it t- turns, out, turns out Stone Cold Teddy's idea of compassion, Bo, not that compassionate. Yeah, it, it falls short of mercy. Uh, that's for sure. <laughs> but yeah, so Stone Cold Teddy uh, just you know blows this dude's head off and Dolores legitimately looks like Holy shit. Did everybody see that? Did you see him just shoot that guy right in the head? That was crazy. And <laughs> Angela, meanwhile, in the background, I don't know if you caught this shot, but as Dolores is like, all right, well, I guess let's get on the train, everybody. And uh, Stone Cold Teddy like strolls up into the train like, all right, let's get fucking going. Thunder! And... <laughs> But Angela is like, you know what? I think I like Stone Cold Teddy quite a bit. That, that oh yeah, guy she gives she done. gives this little, little kind of dirty smile at the side of her face, and I was like, yeah, she's into that. She's into a bit of that. She's and been yeah, dragging the- dudes around by the skull for you know a season now, and finally somebody who's like, you like you like hurting humans too? I love hurting humans. Yeah, and this is this is like one of these. And the thing is, as well, like. To put things that this is the first time we've seen doubt in Dolores, which is really interesting because she's been so steadfast and so secure in the knowledge that everything she was doing is right. She has a purpose, she has a vision, she knows what her mission is, and she knows how she's going to achieve it. And this is the first blip where almost this corruption of innocence. Uh, and two woke Terry to the transformation to Stone Cold Terry um, has got her doubt. You know, has she gone too far? Has she has she crossed the line? Has she done something which you know has she created a monster? Has she done something she will not be able to control? Because we know one thing, Bo, she could completely control Terry before. Yeah, Terry maybe rebelled by not shooting someone, but if Dolores needed her, maybe there in a second. And I get the feeling that maybe she's starting to wonder if she's made the right decision in um, in creating this monster. Well, keep that in mind, Duncan, because this whole episode is going to be about what is the cost of removing agency from someone. Yes. And in in the case of Teddy, she has taken the man that she admitted she loved 
You know, when mm-hmm. before she created Stone Cold Teddy, she tells him like, "Hey, we spent the, this time together because I wanted to see if the emotions that I felt for you were legitimate, and they are. I do love you, but also I find you weak." Mm-hmm. And so she has created this new version of Teddy, and and as you said, uh, he he seems like a little passive aggressive about it uh, as well. <laughs> He's kind of fucking with her about it. But yeah, it it is the first time that we've seen Dolores start to look like she doesn't know exactly what's going on all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, So then we we leave those lovers for the Mesa where Stubbs, a.k.a. Yeah, that's right. He's a Hemsworth, is (laughs) surveying uh, the damage there at the Mesa. And Hale comes in. This is after we know that this is a week since the initial host uprising. Yeah, it's been one. Sorry, <laughs> one week since you had the hosts do what you said, <laughs> and then they start shooting you. Um, I don't know. Hale, uh, yeah, I but can't wait till they start talking about the Chinese chicken. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's in Shogun World, and it's racist. <laughs> So, um, <laughs> Hale comes in and she has Abernathy and is telling Stubbs like, Hey, we've got the, the package that they've, uh, Delos corporate has been wanting. So we need to tell them we now have him in hand. So they will get us the fuck out of here. Mm-hmm. And Stubbs is like, are you saying that they just jeopardized all these lives of all these people so that we could get our hands on this one host? And she's like, no, you're getting the idea, kid. Yeah, uh, Stubbs is so out of his depth. Like, so, and it's, it's wonderfully going to come up where we get the, the first extraction team with some of my new favorite characters in the show. Yes. <laughs> The moustache guy is fucking amazing. The yes. Irish moustache guy. Like, instantly I was like, yeah, oh yeah, you're a new favourite. So, you, wait one second, you are Peter Mullen Mark II? I'm down with this. <laughs> right, is there any way you guys can talk to each other in the same scene? I am writing oh, see Westworld if that happens. Now. Yeah, see, see if that happens. It's game over for me. Like, game over. I will, I will have spunked myself into oblivion. <laughs> But Which is the, the name of my new biography uh, coming out next year. Spunked myself into oblivion. The that's, McLeish story. That's what the gypsy said would kill you. Ah, <laughs> oh, you'll spunk yourself to death. This line is your spunk line. <laughs> this line is your spunk line. <laughs> it goes all the way up. Only people who die of spunking to death have this line. <laughs> you, Duncan McLeish. You will die all, all surrounded by spunk. All I did was ask you where the donation to the nearest shot was. Never more! You have woken the prophetic eye. You should it's just do that spunk. to fuck with people. <laughs> like you should just maybe not with the spunk, the spunk line, but you should just do that next time someone asks you for directions. Just start reading their palm. You will die on Thursday. 
<laughs> so randomly. <laughs> we see how many people like <laughs> ask you for donations after that. Yeah, I maybe just get the shirt made that says you will die on Thursday. Ask me how. <laughs> you get one of the, that meme of that guy behind the desk. <laughs> you will die on Thursday. Change my mind. <laughs> right. <laughs> so uh Hale says, "Hey, we got to keep Abernathy secure." And so she takes them to, you know, one of the labs where they're they're working on some of the hosts. And uh, the techs are like, yeah, we, we got a way to do this. We'll keep him off his feet permanently. And yeah, this, um, this does not look nice, Bo. No, uh, you know, from their point of view, they're just doing, you know, this to a machine. But, I thought you were basically God's work. <laughs> well, that too. Uh, God loves suffering, Duncan. That's why I whip myself. <laughs> and so they straight up bolt this dude to, to the chair. Like they take a bolt gun and bolt him through the shoulders and the hands and the shins. They're just yeah. like, yeah, he ain't going nowhere. And Stubbs is not done with this. Stubbs thinks it's one step too far, showing one of the reasons why he's maybe not the best head of security at a park which is full of robots intent on killing people. Um, you know what I mean? It's maybe maybe not as ruthless as the rest of Delos. Um, and furthermore, what I really liked about this is like, we know all about like how damaged Abernathy is. He's fucking gone in the head. He's a pained wounded character. And then to see him being bolted through his body to a table and then the camera lingering on the pain in his eyes um, it reminds you, it's a nice little reminder that you know this season thus far has been playing things in a particular way we were like that right, first season we felt sorry for the hosts second season thus far we've kind of felt sorry for humans up until this point, yes, they're fucking scum. Have at them to Teddy, Stone Cold Teddy, whatever your name is, Teddy. New yeah. Jack, New Jack, Teddy. Boom. <laughs> and so, and that's kind of where we leave that scene because we got to get back to Shogun World, mm. where we we go to the remains of the battle where just everybody is dead except <laughs> for our heroes. The camera pans up over the dead bodies and then passes past the, the emperor who's the top of his head still severed off uh-huh. to the side. I was just like, oh, this is fucking bitching. Uh-huh. Oh, so good. Yeah. So good. Any time we have ventured into Shogun World, it's been amazing. This scene is no different. Uh, mm-hmm. Where uh, Kill Bill Maeve... <laughs> looks on as Akane is mourning over Sakura, who is the dancer who, of course, was killed in uh, in the last episode. Akane rocking uh, very very much the kind of Lady Snowblood look, which I, I kind of dug. Uh, I would like to think it was a little nod and a reference. Maybe not, but I liked it. Yeah, it, all of this is just gorgeous. I love all of this stuff. And uh we get a little narration that is very reminiscent of things Maeve has said before. And it's a reminder of like, oh yeah, they're mirrors of one another. And in this case, the daughter character, Sakura, like Akani could not save her daughter. 
Instead, yeah. she had to watch her die. And Maeve is worried this might too be her fate, uh, is to never find her daughter or to find her daughter dead. And this moment of, of sort of empathic uh, sorrow is interrupted when Akane carves out Sakura's fucking heart with a knife <laughs> and wraps it uh, and actually Maeve hands her this like silk uh, scarf or something and it's like here put that put that weird fucking heart in this I don't know what's going on but I'll help I guess and uh, so Akane wraps up the heart and for the rest of the episode just walks around all blood spattered carrying a, a, a severed heart in the in this bag it's yep pretty awesome fucking great bo that's what it is it's fucking great now we need to regroup and we need to rescue some people because hector armistice um and the lady's name who is escaping me at the moment armistice is clone uh hananrio um, and who's the who's the dude? Uh, Felix and Sylvester and Lee and yeah, all that gang. Yeah, but they need to go and rescue the ones that have been held. Right. So uh, Hector, Hector's equivalent, and oh, Masashi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're all they're all still being held by the Emperor's general. Um, and you know we now have a heart in a bag, and we need to go and free our peeps. They they have to stroll through the middle of town to meet uh, Tanaka, who is the the captain that we saw. You know, last or was it last episode or episode before? What Musashi's former uh, subordinate, uh, who is now made captain. Uh, I want to say it's last episode. Yeah, last that feels episode. right. And uh, so, kill Maeve mentally commands a cup because remember she doesn't even have to talk anymore. She just has to mentally uh, project the commands in Japanese to these soldiers, and she'll follow them. So she orders one of the the soldiers on the road to murder his companion and then kill himself. And then this group, our, our group of, uh, of rescuers, is met by Tanaka and the full force of his you know platoon or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, Musashi and Tanaka start to throw a little shade at one another. <laughs> and Musashi is like, hey, fuck all your dudes. How about this is between you and me? And Tanaka's like, oh, you got your witch. I don't stand a chance. And uh, Musashi's like, are you saying you're yellow? That you're not going to do it? And... <laughs> And to, oh, I fucked up. And Tanaka's like, "Well, uh, goddamn it, I'll I'll duel with you. I don't care about your witch or nothing." <laughs> and sorry, I fell down on the job. And Busa, correct, yep, yep. Try to, uh, I, I forgot. Now we're back. And uh, Busashi is like, well, "All right, let's get your man to clear a circle. We're gonna have a goddamn sword fight right here in the middle of the road. Goddamn it!" And uh, so Akane asks Maeve, like, what? he's going to get himself killed. Use your magic, <laughs> goddammit. And Maeve is like, no, I can't do that because 
if I do that, everyone everyone deserves to choose their own fate, she says, even if yes. that fate is death. Yes. Again, you couldn't be drawing clearer lines between the characters of Maeve and Dolores, who have only crossed paths once. And in that scene, Duncan, I would point out that Maeve questions now Stone Cold Teddy's yep. freedom, even in that scene. Yep. So it's so good. It's so good. Uh, Goddamn, this show is. Plus, there's something kind of like, like Maeve's already super sexy, right? And you know, her way wearing like the the kind of the traditional Japanese attire once again adding to the sexiness. Then her busting out these kind of very prophetic samurai ideals about honor and choosing death. And it being within your own control or your own destiny, and I like that there is literally only so much semen that my body can produce, and it's gone at this point. It's like she's like she's such an incredible. She is the MVP of Westworld season two. She is yeah. like even with all her badass superpowers that she could she could use, and you know for a fact if this was Dolores, Dolores would use them all the fucking time. It never would have gone to a duel. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she would have walked in, everyone would have been dead. She would have walked out with what she wanted. In the case of this particular scenario here, she understands the value of that freedom. And that value is allowing people to make mistakes and do things wrong. Um, the, the one thing that Teddy has paid consequences for purely by being rewritten um, Maeve won't do that. And if that means that, unfortunately, he, you know, one of her allies, one of her compatriots, ends up dead at the hands of a samurai sword, then so be it. Yeah, yeah, that is the fate that they, they chose for themselves. And and the, the sword fight is, it's a pretty cool sword fight all around. And mm -hmm. it results in Musashi cutting off Tanaka's hand at the forearm. And so in a literal example of choosing the fate of death... Tanaka then bows in defeat, begins to disembowel himself, you know, uh, Hardikiri. Yeah, Sebaku. Sebaku, sorry, Sebaku. Yep, yeah, you're right. And the act of honor there is for the victor, in this case Musashi, to end the suffering of the vanquished with the decapitation. And it's mm -hmm. all this ritual of you've beaten me, I deserve to die, so now I'm going to, and you're going to show me one final mercy. Yeah. And it's all fucking cool. <laughs> all of this is amazing. And, yeah. And Akane says, after witnessing all this go down, she says, look, I'm, I'm going to help you as much as I can before this darkness consumes them all. Meaning yeah. this this growing chaos of freedom. And, oh man, anytime we're in Shogun World, I'm just, I, I couldn't be happier. I, I, we eventually leave it in this episode, which is sad, but oh my god, our time there has been amazing. Um, yeah, it's, it's, but it, once again, this is the epitome of great writing. Um, you know, leave them wanting more. There's so much more I want to know about Shogun World, and if it never happens, that's great. And if we go back, I'll be just as happy. If if you stayed in 
Shogun World and abandon almost everything else in the series and just followed Akane and Musashi, I'm I'd still be, into that show. Yeah, I, I would totally watch that show and I would be just as happy, I'll be honest. I, I thought there were two phenomenal characters and... Yeah, it's it's been really, really good. Something that we were both kind of excited about pre-season two starting uh, because it had been teased out. But at the same time, a degree of kind of apprehension on how it would be handled. Turns out they handled it amazing. Um, So once again, me and you should stop being concerned that people that are better than us (laughs) know what they're doing. It, It resulted in my favorite episode of this show ever, which was just last episode. Yeah. That the more I think about it just becomes cooler. Uh, yeah. It, it, that's a fantastic episode at any rate. Not that, Hey, this ain't nothing, Duncan. Uh, back to this one. We cut over to William and Lawrence on the trail. Uh, along with Grace, his uh, William's yeah. daughter from uh, Colonial World or whatever. She calls it the Raj. Raj. Yeah, yeah Raj World is, I think, its official name. Um, um, we can call it whatever we want, Bolo, because this is our podcast. Yep, indeed, says Stoke Cold Teddy. <laughs> and... Time <laughs> <Find the> struck! <laughs> it's... Oh, man, I love him in this episode so much. And, but so this is a pretty good twist on their relationship, I think. Which is that yeah, there's a couple of there's a couple of really interesting twists in this this particular scene. Yeah, and it's just them kind of chit-chatting as they're riding along uh you know on their way to the furtherance of uh Ford's game, you know. Mm-hmm. And William says, "Boy, I never thought he'd stoop to this." I never thought yeah. Ford would do this of making a host that looks like my goddamn daughter. Yeah. And she's like, are you, are you f- fucking kidding me? <laughs> are you fucking high right now? Yeah. And so she is very much making the case, not, not protesting too much. I would argue of just like, I just, I just don't think she understands it. Like, I think she doesn't understand. I don't think she understands what are, dad's really doing out with the superficiality of it you know what i mean she doesn't understand that there's some sort of weird fucking thing that was going on before she doesn't understand that just these robots being programmed to kill isn't the only thing that our dad's interested here with right you know what i mean so that's like on her level she's like what do you mean do you think you think I'm, you know, you you clearly have been in this game far too long, um, and yeah, you obviously got what you wanted, which is like deadly robots. And I'm like, that you just you don't know, you don't know. And I, I right. think it's a wonderful thing of these two characters is like Grace is very much her, you know, her father's daughter, and the way she, in a lot of respects, and the way she speaks about things, she's very blunt. Very matter of fact, and right to the fucking point. And, and in a lot of respects, maybe more like her grandfather, the late great Peter Mullen. I say that late great as in, in this show, Peter Mullen's still alive, peeps. Yeah. Um, she's got a, she's got a spark of the you know the granddad in her as well, which I really liked. Uh, and yeah, it's like so he's like that. You know, I wouldn't think he's stoop so And she's like, you know, what are you on about? Meanwhile, Lawrence has got his uncles and family down at one of these 
caravan truck things um, from the Old West, which is overturned, riddled with um, a lot of arrows, uh, which will play an important bit in a couple of things. Yeah, because uh, as they're chit-chatting, and she's like, look, we need to get out of here. D- despite how crazy what you're saying is, uh, I'm not going to leave here without you, but we need to leave. And I'm certainly not going to be on foot down there by that uh, that wagon. And he's like, why not? And she says, because that's not a real like Lakota arrow or whatever. And your men are standing in the middle of a honeypot. Mm-hmm. Which is a great expression for when you set a trap with uh, <laughs> enticing goods. Yep. And then bandits hide in the woods and then come out and start shooting people uh, when they go to pilfer the said honey. Hence yeah. honey pot. And Grace, <laughs> Grace puts them all down single-handedly. Right. Sniffs it out and then kills the dudes responsible. And it's awesome. Like, I, yeah. I liked Grace from the beginning. I just like her more now. Yes. Agreed. 100%. Great, great idea. Great turn for this. Um, and just when I was, once again, another thing, uh, later on, I was kind of like, and mm, it kind of feels like we're maybe moving away from certain character constructs. And then there's a slipping sequence. And I was like, that. oh, no, 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 no. But once again, Westworld, you're right. Sorry. Why do I keep doing this to myself? Um, but yeah, it's like the the, the man in black straight away. He's, he's kind of got a, a spring in his step, looks up, obviously realizes that his daughter is in fact his daughter and not a Ford bot. Um, and, you know, he's like, yeah, it's maybe a, a little chip off the old block. Um, and yeah, so t- like Grace is here. Grace is bitching. She's awesome. She's got her dad's wiles uh, and apparently aim. Yeah, she's she's a real dead eye. And so we leave them for a moment to check out our maybe host Arnold in our pet theory uh, with mm-hmm. uh, Shannon Woodward, whose character's name I keep forgetting on the show. Yeah, um, I th- yeah, no, I don't think I don't think at this stage I don't think he's Arnold yet. I think he will become Arnold because remember this is still set before the. Him being found on the beach. Oh, right. Okay. So this is, yeah. So this is Cranial Bernard and Elsie. And they have entered, you know, the the spot, uh, what, in Sector 22 or whatever, where they could get in. And (laughs) remember, Sector 22? Those assholes. And she's. (laughs) As they're going through, and they're, they're, they're kind of using that to get to the Mesa. And mm-hmm. they're seeing a bunch of hosts killed. And there's a moment where Elsie uh, says, hey, you know, I bet all these macho fuck guards are enjoying killing all these hosts. And there's a sense that she has, much like Stubbs, a level of empathy for these robots that yeah. a, lot of, a lot of the crew does not necessarily uh, subscribe to. And she is checking on sort of the status of the park. And she's seeing that they're trying to restore the main programming. But every time that they try to do that, they're getting uh, pushed back from the cradle, which is... Yeah, which is the first time I've heard this mentioned in the show. 
I think they mentioned I, it. I can't remember the creed that we mentioned before. I think I think I thought they mentioned it in the last, not last episode, but the episode before that briefly. Right, but right. but it's basically the place where all the backups of the host personalities are. It's just a big data yep. warehouse. So the fact that there is some, uh, like seemingly sentient creature trying to prevent the restoration of the original programming suggests that there is someone in the cradle itself, or it is in fact the cradle which has yeah. gained some level of sentience. And yeah. that, I caught, by the way, I called this like while I was watching it, I accurately picked out how this will play out at the end of this episode. Right at yeah. this moment. And I feel yeah. like we had even proposed this before. Um We had. Well, I think we proposed it at the end of season one and re kind of hypothesized it at the beginning of season two. And I will say it did shock me a little because casting notes had flat out denied this happening. Right. But I'm I'm so, very pleased that uh that they were just like, yeah, fuck it, let's bring it back. It's gonna be sneaky. <laughs> and <laughs> so uh but at the end of the scene, it, it's basically like, hey, we now have to go to the cradle because there's no way to get through the cradle security. We have to go to the cradle itself and, yeah. and get our answers there. And so then we go back to Shogun World, our, our sort of last hurrah there, where uh, Lee has brought them to this shrine where they can get out, where, where there's a body shoot uh, that leads into <laughs> one of uh, the outposts. And from there, they can get back to the Mesa, which is where everybody's trying to get back to the main brain, the hive of, of Westworld. Mm-hmm. And... There, they, there's a little bit of pawing around where they're like, "How do we get in this thing?" And Lee just like, "Hey, here's a button." And Akane has brought Sakura's heart here, uh, which she places in a in a bowl, and then they burn it, and it's a ceremony uh, to celebrate her life, like a funereal kind of ceremony, set against the backdrop of uh, seemingly Mount Fuji in the background. And it's this beautiful moment. And uh, Maeve, uh, after this is done, says, look, you can come with us. There is still a place of beauty to be had. There is still freedom to be had. And, uh, I, you know, you're both incredibly brave and strong and, and we can help each other. And Masashi says, hey, look, we're not going to go with you because to us, there is nothing braver than standing and fighting for our land. That this yeah. is our home. We're going to try to push back against this darkness that Akane has seen coming. Uh, see, the spinoff season, Shogun World, in which Akane and Musashi fight back against the darkness. Uh, which mm-hmm. I hope is in production right now. Yeah, and when you say the darkness, um, I also want to think that that might be uh, Yuki... Rock, cock rockers, the darkness, the band. And I hope that they get their hands on them and murder them horribly. Yeah. They believe in a thing called Shogun World, Duncan. <laughs> I believe in a thing called Shogun World. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> we want to be queen so badly. 
<laughs> we do one day, one day, bro. Um, so the so Musashi and Akane are gonna stay behind, but uh, Hananryo, the armistice uh, doppelbot, looks at Musashi like I kind of want to go. Hey, almost did it again, <laughs> Musashi. I kind of got a hankering to kill more people. God damn it. God damn it. And Musashi's like, well, all right, God damn it. You go with him. Godspeed and you kill a bunch of them motherfuckers. God damn it. And, and then we, we bid them adieu. Um, yeah. There's a bit of, you know, hey, we're going to choose our own fate. And uh, Hananryo uh, tags along for the ride as they exit Shogun World. Boy, it has been a great time. Uh, we're going to miss you. Come back soon. That's all I can say. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. 100%. So we cut back to William and Grace. They they have uh, set up camp for the night following the honeypot situation. Mm-hmm. And William offers uh, Grace a drink. And she says, well, you don't drink. And he's, he's like, well, I'm drinking right now. And she's like, oh, you don't drink in the real world. I get it. And there's a moment where uh, she's talking about, uh, was it, it's not putt-putt, is it? When she's like, you took me somewhere. And uh, he's like, well, you, oh, it was in the Raj, the the elephants. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, when he's like, you hated the elephants, you were scared of them. And she was like, that wasn't me. That was mom. She was scared of everything here. You know, she didn't trust any of this, but no, I loved it. And this idea that he just knows so little and spent so little time with his wife and child that he conflates his memories of, of the two of them in a lot yeah, of ways. Plus, plus like the way she talks as well as the face that very much the way he sold it to his father-in-law is that when you're in Westworld, you can be whatever you want. Uh, and the real world, he apparently, well, doesn't drink. Um Maybe it wasn't the the best family man, but you know didn't lose his temper or anything like that by the sounds of what she's saying. And then here he's a vicious, mean, cold-hearted bastard, um, which you know th- instead of instead of going on vacation to be the person you think you should be, or you know to live the life that you think you ought to be living, if anything. The man in black goes to Westworld to be himself. And in the real world, that's the facade. That's the mask he wears. That was always inside him to be who he is now. And that's why he is like, that's why his character is twisted so darkly after experiencing who he could be in Westworld um, himself. And uh, he's not a nice person at all. And his daughter recognises that, but his daughter thinks that he's on some sort of suicide mission, which has been kind of batted around a couple of times in um, both seasons, that Man in Black wants to die at the hands of a host. That's why he wanted the safeties off, so to speak. Um, and the challenge to, you know, one last big hurrah before death um, it's, it's what he's looking for. This is This is his thing. And she basically says to him that, you know, she has said some horrible things in the past. She specifically blamed him for her mother's death, and that was wrong. Um, and I love this because the man in black is like, so, you know, you made your way 
Like, how how did you end up here? And she's like, oh, I made my way from the Raj. And he was like, you did that all by yourself without a mark on you? You know, that's really impressive. But, you know, back, back to come to your daddy to, you know, shelter under the, the cover of his wing. And Grace just, like, changes straight away. And she's yeah. like, is that what you think I've done? She's like, no, I don't want to give you the satisfaction of leaving me on those terms where I blamed you for something which, you know, is unfair and not right. And yeah, you weren't the best guy, you know, the, weren't, weren't the best father, but I'm not going to give you the satisfaction of that and that to weigh on my life. So what we're going to do, me and you, Mr. Man in Black, is we're going to make our way out of this park together. And, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll deal with that stuff moving forward. And um, Man in Black reads that <laughs> kind of... Like I love how he twists it because she's like that. We'll just get out of here, and his one is yeah. So when I burn this place to the ground and we both leave together, that'll be as even. And she's like, not even, but it'll be a start, right? And yeah, she they make this tentative agreement of like we're gonna walk out of here and and try to work on our relationship or whatever. But immediately I'm like, he ain't leaving. Ain't no way. Like, well, yeah, this is the, this is what I was saying. Like, see, as soon as he started saying that, I was like, "Dad, want this? Dad, like, I like Grace as a character, but Dad, want the man of black kind of now a bit more concerned about life around about him because that's the thing about this character. You don't give a fuck about anyone because it's all hosts around him. So he doesn't care if Lawrence gets shot. Yeah, he's showing a bit of compassion towards Lawrence, but yeah, there's not huge amounts. If Lawrence gets shot, Lawrence gets shot because self preservation is the man in black thing. That's what he does. He's selfish. Um, and I want that to be interrupted with Grace, and almost as if the show felt my my kind of niggling curiosity and grievances building up. Uh, the show course corrected straight away, Bo, and I was like, no, 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 wait till she wakes up. And what happens when she wakes up, Bo? Oh, William and Lawrence have completely fucked off and <laughs> are are gone. Just left with a, <laughs> like a guy. She's like, well, she's she wakes up to a stunt double from Blazing Saddles. Yeah, <laughs> y'all want some beans? Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it, like he just has completely crawled at it. Her, uh, as we say in the business of uh, being a cowboy. Yeah. Um, Literally, never heard that word before, but I love it. It's in Tombstone. That that's a, a phrase used to screw someone over, crawdadding them. I like it a lot. I love it. Uh-huh. Oh yeah. I've always wanted like like I have that Back of the Future three sort of fantasy <laughs> of like I want to go back into the old West, but I want it to be that version of the old West, not the real one. Yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> I want it to be Westworld is what I want, but like a, a slightly tamer version of that, even. You yeah. Know? Um. So yeah, when watching this show and and seeing them hitting the trails and whatnot, I still find that, like, I would probably be a Sweetwater guy. Like, I'm going to stay in town. I want to be in a bed. Just a confession that I I needed to make. (laughs) Uh, Bull world. It's just, like, comfy beds and, like, Hollywood Western accents. (laughs) Yeah, kind of. Yeah. That's it. That's that's it. Just a comfy bed where everyone where both can lie in it and everyone can speak to them like they're from ye old timey west. It's it's just a movie theater with every movie ever made in it in a in a 
comfy studio apartment above it. Yeah, my dear Dr. Grant, welcome to Bow World. <laughs> right, the music has to stop short because it's like, that's it? It's just... <laughs> I thought once we got past the concession stand and opened these big double doors, it was going to be like a whole thing, but it's just a movie theater. Yes, yes. Yep. But upstairs, there's an apartment with a microwave. <laughs> must go faster, must go faster. <laughs> <Right>. and... <laughs> Spend every How long expense. does the popcorn take? <laughs> does the, how long does the popcorn? Four minutes in the microwave. Must go faster. Must go faster. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, laziness will uh, uh, find a way. <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's like it like blows in his bed and some some uh, uh, <laughs> like usher. A uh, woman comes across to to give it like this. She brings out a hot dog and both like clever girl. Yeah, I you know I think it's my secret <laughs> dream to be a shut in. Quite frankly, <laughs> like it it seems in, an incredibly unhealthy way to live. Certainly, but on the other I, hand, not, like not, I get it. It's, it's not as as unhealthy if you want to maintain personal relationships. But that I would argue is the very purpose of being a shut in is to not maintain them. Yeah, it, it, all of it feels good. Um, <laughs> where were we? Oh, yeah. Back to the cradle. Uh, Elsie, uh, they, they they get in pretty quickly into the cradle. I, I like that we didn't fuck around with that. We just go there. And yeah, we... Uh, it looks like it looks like the it looks like the the, the server towers from hackers. <laughs> right. It's kind of a server farm. Yeah. Yeah. And Elsie says, "Like, hey, there's this crazy hive mind thing happening here." And Bernard says, "I think I brought something here." And then we flash back to him grabbing that little data ball from a few episodes ago. Yep. And Bernard says that Elsie has to jack him into the matrix essentially because they can't get they, she can't interface with the cradle through the normal means. So he's mm-hmm. like, you got to jack me in Elsie. And he gets in this, uh, it's sort of the machine that they're going to use to do the brain transfer from the Muppet movie. <laughs> where, where this cone kind of fits on Bernard's head. On loan to Westworld for uh, a season. When it's done, he uh, Bernard is just like ribbit, ribbit. <laughs> but um, I love it. Like he straps himself into this, and Elsie says to him, "You know, I don't have time to, you know, dull your pain receptors. You know, I don't have time to do that. This is this is going to hurt." And he's like, "That, you know, well, you know, pain's just a code. It's just a bit of code." Um, and I, I will say to this episode's credit and to the, the, the most recent couple episodes with Bernard, me and you had reservations, uh, one could say maybe concerns about Bernard and how we were losing certain aspects of the character from the first season and the second season. I'm totally loving what they're doing with this at the moment. I, I think it's I think it's kind of great. I kind of like him as well as a character. I think he's getting to bring a bit more out of it and this kind of now that he's fully aware of what he is, now that he's got like someone to help him, um, and now that he's getting these flashbacks, which we don't know how much of it he is actually remembering or how he's interpreting it. I'm just loving this whole thing just now, and he straps himself in, and this big fucking laser comes down and cuts a 
holding the top of his head while he screams, uh, removes a bit, and then takes the data ball out, and then we're jacked into the Matrix, Bo. Which, it turns out, the Matrix in Westworld is just Bernard on the train to Sweetwater. Yeah, it's just Westworld. Yeah. So. Eh, you know, you've already made a big Matrix, why not? Like, it would be like if uh, Neo went from our world into a place that looked just like our world. Yeah. Yeah, there were now the the crazy Lovecraft bots yanking yeah. babies out of tubes and whatnot. Um, I think that's what happens in that movie. That's 100% what happens in that movie. All right, good. So, we, Lovecraft baby bots. <laughs> Lovecraft baby bots coming from Dunboco. Uh, so... <laughs> Just send any crate full of weasels you find. <laughs> to that apartment above the movie theater. Yep. Alternatively, uh, I will accept three hamsters and a bagel so I can try out that scene that I mentioned earlier. Uh try out the old the old reliable. See if it holds up to scrutiny. Like a penny saved is a penny earned. Um yep. So we we leave them uh Bernard on the Matrix train to Westworld because Stubbs is meeting the new awesome character on the show uh Laughlin. Is that his name? Oh, uh, I love it. And I like Laughlin because he doesn't give a shit about Stubbs just like me. <laughs> well, it's not that he doesn't give a, a shit about Stubbs. This guy we what I like about Westworld is that sometimes when we're introduced to certain characters, there already is a whole background and a knowledge of the park, and I don't feel cheated by not knowing what that is, if that makes sense. Because we've had so many flashbacks that I know the park's existed for at least 30 years. Um, and yeah, there's going to be a lot of people working for this company that probably know things. Uh, and Laughlin's one of them, because as soon as he arrives, Stubbs tries to he tries to pull like some jurisdiction bullshit, you know, like well, this, you know, this is my crime scene, so to speak, and I'll get you set up with what. What the first thing he asks is where Hale is, and he's like, "Oh, Hale's, you know, she's down, she's down in one of the one of the rooms," uh, and he's like, "Right, okay," and he's like, "Oh, well, by the way, I'm head of security." He's like, "Uh huh, right, whatever." Um, it's like I can take you down there, and he looks at me, and he's like, "You don't need to. I know this part. You don't need to tell me anything. I know like the back of my hand." Um, and then he calls his friend over and then like basically says, I forgot that Stubbs his first name is Ashley. Yeah. When it when he's like yeah. what's what's your name, laddie? And he's like, yeah. uh Stubbs or Ashley. And he's like, Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> like, what he says. <laughs> I fucking love it. Absolutely love it. Right. Um, he just like everything about Stubbs just makes his stomach turn. I'm just like you <laughs> It, it you love him because it's the most Scottish reaction to a person yeah. that happens he's Irish, on the show. In fairness, yes, but he's like the Irish and the Scots have an equal contempt for for most things. So. <laughs> for the outside uh, world, yeah, yeah, pretty much, pretty much <laughs> anything uh, that is not their immediate family and they're on thin ice. Yeah, we're we're waiting. We're eagerly waiting. Both races are eagerly waiting for the Kickstarter for Bull World because we want our own self-contained thing where we have to interact with fucking no one. Um, yeah, that's so all my investment for- is is coming from the UK, and by yeah. UK I mean yeah. Ireland and Scotland. 
<laughs> but yeah, he's, he's just like, ah, oh, Jesus. They just can't, cannot be fucked with Stubbs. Uh-huh. Stubbs, get the fuck out my face, you useless bag of shit. You know what I mean? He's just like literally just a long streak of piss, right? Just like the, a, a waste of space and time. And you know what? You're, you're not head of security here. What you are is just an obstruction for me doing what I need to do, which is take care of some bee snatch. Yeah. Uh, and like, we're the Delta team that got sent in here once you guys handled the minor shit of getting yeah. your hands on this one host. And now that you did the thing that you were supposed to do in the first place. Yeah. Now we're going to take over yeah. and, and handle business from here. Yeah, that thing that's taken you a week to do. Now we can finally start doing what we're supposed to do. Right. And and has no time for any of it. Yeah, it, it it's truly great. It's very funny and mm-hmm. and I, I can't wait to see him be perturbed by a number of things in this show. <laughs> so so <laughs> we have uh, a, a moment where we've been building to this all season, right? Where Maeve and uh, her gang, you know, Lee and Felix and Sylvester and uh, Hanan Rio, God damn it, and <laughs> uh, Hector, like, we're, we're all back to the valley that we've seen in her memories before. This place yeah. where she uh, has all these memories of being with her child as well as being killed by both William and uh, some Lakota as well, uh, depending on the circumstance. And... Mm-hmm. There's a nice moment where Lee is like, you know, I'm not useless all the time. I got us here. And she says, you know, thank you very much. Like, genuinely, thank you for getting me home. Yeah. Maybe you're not a terrible, terrible person, Lee, who would, in, you know, scientific terms, crawd at us later. (laughs) (laughs) And... Then she says, I'm going to go down there. I need to, I need to go to my daughter. And Hector says, let me come with you. And she's like, no, this is something I got to do by myself. And she gives Hector a fucking kiss, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, one that says, I'm going to be back. And later on, once all this has died down, you, sir, are going to get yourself a quality fucking. <laughs> sort of the good shit. Uh, like I'm gonna, I'm gonna turn sexy up to eleven tonight. Um, <laughs> but it, it's kind of this nice series of moments that's leading up to the bigger scene that we're gonna get to in a second. But uh, before we get to that, we go back to William and Lawrence, who have taken off and left Grace behind, along with Lawrence's cousins and whatnot. And. This just serves to sort of parallel the scene we're about to see where some Lakota Indians are uh, Native Americans. Sorry. It's I don't know, man. Things are so confusing these days. And uh, so these Lakota warriors are uh, after William and Lawrence. One of Lawrence's cousins gets an arrow to the fucking chest. And basically, they don't stick around and try to fight. William and Lawrence just haul ass away from them. Yeah. I used to be a great adventurer, and then I took an arrow to the knee. Oh, Duncan. (laughs) Really? (laughs) 
<laughs> I suppose. Like, here's the thing: the people who don't get that are never gonna get that, and the people who do get that were tired of that joke five years ago. <laughs> I award you no points. May God have mercy on your soul. I've been building up for five years for that. It's the finest. It's my highlight in podcast. I can retire now. Finding a way to segue that joke in. Oh, my God. I'll do a Leroy Jenkins joke later and we'll just have a meme run. A meme run of obsolete computer game shite uh-huh <laughs> let, yeah uh, let, let's pull the uh caddyshack i got that going for me me <laughs> we'll do the napoleon dynamite it's kind of a big yeah. deal meme we'll get them all yeah yep yeah. uh, mom goes to college and <laughs> so anyway William and Lawrence fuck off uh, away from uh, the the attackers. Maeve ends up at her old homestead. Mm. And she gladiators towards the house, like running her hands over the grass and remembering holding oh, nice. her daughter's hands, right? Yeah. And there's a really nice reunion scene. Like, again, this is what we've been building up to with this character is her sitting down with her daughter who has a couple of dolls and they're having this whole conversation via talking about the dolls about, you know, your mommy's never ever going to leave you. And she is so strong now. Yeah. There's something quite interesting about this scene though, and that it would appear that the daughter very much like Maeve has these repressed memories as well, though. Yeah, you know it, the story that she's playing out with her dolls is it. It feels re, you know is basically reenacting what has happened every single time in that story loop for those characters, um, and the fact that she's playing her toys in that way to me denotes that very much how like Maeve started to get these memories starting to come back. This little girl is stuck in this trauma as well that she has two dolls which she plays out this kind of fantasy of you know, of the mother being taken away from the daughter, etc. And then the story repeats the same way. It's kind of horrific. But to be fair, had either one of us spoken about this before, we both kind of knew what the reveal was going to be here. Oh, sure. there There isn't just a child living in a house herself, waiting on her mother who's been away, being a mistress for like fucking God knows how long. We knew this was coming. Um, I would imagine Lee knew this was coming, but didn't see anything. Um, and the only person that didn't apparently see it coming was poor old Maeve. And I feel genuinely sorry for her here. Yeah, because the you know her daughter looks up and yells, "Mommy!" And there's new Maeve. You know, uh, the the new mother character that has been placed in this role, and and it breaks her heart. But fortunately for us all, Duncan, narratively speaking. Uh, the uh, attacking Lakota show back up as have happened before in, you know, this world of, of uh, or this little nook of Westworld. Um, and Maeve grabs her daughter 
and takes off while the new Maeve just gets uh, attacked. Yeah. And, and Maeve is, you know, again, there are some upsides to her policy of not interfering in people's fates. And one of them is not worrying about saving new Maeve. <laughs> like, oh, that's a shame. That might, that might have an unexpected um, benefit later on. <laughs> right. And But this Lakota warrior like rides uh, his horse up to Maeve and the daughter and says um, that they're on the same path. Mm-hmm. And uh, Maeve says, like, I'm not on the path of, like, murder and death and blah, blah, blah. And then our gang, like Hector and, and uh, Armistice and Hananrio, roll up to try to save Maeve and, and the little girl. And, and sort of drive yeah. this dude off. And, uh, which is pretty cool. I like the fact that Hector's like, you know what? You hear anything. We immediately just start killing fools. Everybody on board for that, and everybody was. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, though, uh, up on the hill and the embankment behind them, uh, Sylvester and, what's his face? Felix and Lee. Felix, yeah, are, are all sitting up there, and um, Felix, he's got his hand on his gun. He's like, "We need to go down there. We need to help her." And meanwhile, Lee has produced from his pocket the little communication device that he stole from one of the hanging dead bodies in the previous episode, and starts calling. And they're like, "What are you doing?" He's like, "That I'm calling for help." As someone who is in a park that they don't want to be in and is sick of having arrows shot at his head, I'm getting the fuck out of here. Um, and you know, you'd be you'd be best to follow me here. And Felix does the noble thing. He takes a gun out and walks down to help. Uh, Lee shouting back after him that he can thank him later. Uh, and that is the end of our time with these characters. Um, for this episode, we will yeah. obviously return and see how that plays out in the hopefully the next episode. Uh, where are we going to next, Bo? Uh Well, first, fuck you, Lee. I just want to say, uh, like, I like how the the show placed him in that earlier scene where yeah. he's being real chummy with Maeve and then immediately fucking her, reminding I, us I, that he is a total opportunist. Yeah, there's there's two ways to look at this though. Is he actually fucking her over in this scene, or is he trying to like liaise with a place that he can escape? Him leaving Maeve isn't necessarily him fucking over Maeve. He's done what he said he would do, which is bring get her to her daughter. That really is right. But you know, doing it on the it. sly like this, it's not. Oh like- yeah, he's, he's he's opportunistic, but by all like as soon as he lifted that device. You know, we knew he was going to be doing something with that at some point. I would also say as well, like, we we did kind of cover Maeve thanking him genuinely. The sentence she comes out beforehand is like, you know, well, you at least you've done one good thing, you know, in terms of like, once again, and then when she relaxed into the fact that he finally got her there, that's when she actually thanked him. The first thing that she said to him is very much on point, and it's very much against his, you know, very much in keeping with what his character's like. The guy is a snake. He shouldn't be trusted. Um, and everything he's done to this point is to get... It's not for Maeve, it's for him. He's he's brought her to a place for self-preservation, surely, yeah, but um, all the way through 
um, you know, Samurai World, he just wanted out of there. You know, he yeah. like, constantly kept saying that we can just leave these people. Why do you care if she gets to her daughter? Why do you care about any of this? You shouldn't care. This is self-preservation. Rule 101, we go to this place, we can get out of here. Um, so he is on point 100%. And there's an honesty about that character that I kind of enjoy. Because, um, you know, he reminds you that... he is. It's funny, he's right... He wrote stories for hosts and has complained that the hosts can't move beyond their programming. This shocks him that they're, they're able to move out with their program personalities or their algorithms or whatever. And ultimately, Lee as a human being is exactly the same. Right, and there's there's something really cool about that, and the way that the two are just mirrors of each other. Lee, regardless what progress you think he's making, fundamentally is always looking out for himself. Right, that he has in many ways the same um, sort of superficial emotional life that these yes. hosts do. He doesn't he, he doesn't have anyone he loves enough to make this journey that Maeve is is making. So he just can't probably relate. why he's been so good at writing these stories. <laughs> you yeah. mean? Cause there is on some level, the, this relation of just being a singular of focus, which in Lee's case is making sure that he is okay. And fuck anyone else. Right in the bottom, Duncan, um, right in the buttocks. Uh, speaking of, uh, being thunderstruck. <laughs> Stone Cold Teddy <laughs> is <laughs> uh, Stone Cold Teddy is on the train with Dolores, and um, so there, Dolores is still checking Teddy out. Right, she's still not entirely sure what to make of of new new uh, version of the man she loved. Yeah, and. So Dolores uh, says, you know, my daddy told me another story, not not just one about the cows, but there was another one where he said, I should run from here. I should get far, far away. What, what do you think about that, Teddy? And uh, Stone Cold Teddy says, I, I never thought I would ever want to leave this place, but I suppose you fixed that too. Mm. And Stone Cold Teddy that then goes to the uh, car where they're holding like the last of their guard hostages. And what they're going to have to do is basically drive the train or the front of the train, the engine through whatever I guess is, is uh, blocking their passage. And Mm -hmm. then they're going to roll in behind that. And that means that, part of the train is about to crash violently. Yeah, badly. (laughs) Badly, violently, and with force. Yes, full speed into something. Like, the immovable object is about to meet (laughs) the irresistible force here uh, on this train. We're going to do a real-life physics experiment. And Mm -hmm. so uh, so Stone Cold Teddy uh, goes to the final technician that they have and says, um, I'm going to do you a mercy and hands him a gun 
and a single bullet. Yeah. And the tech is like, the fuck? And then realizes that they are now disconnecting themselves from his car. Meaning he is about to be part of that grand physics experiment we were just talking about. Yeah. And the human Operation body... and Rum. <laughs> yeah. And the human body does not do well when flung at high rates of speeds into steel. No, you'll scratch something. At, <laughs> at the very least, you're going to need a tetanus shot. <laughs> and, and so the idea is, like, I'm going to give you this gun, so if you've got the balls, you can take yourself out before mm-hmm. you crash horribly and potentially don't die clean. Yeah. And just get stuck dying in some wreckage somewhere for hours when no one is going to be looking for you. Um, it's pretty raw. Hence, Stone Cold Teddy. <laughs> Stone Cold uh. Teddy, you know. <laughs> That's some queen. <laughs> He's Teddy. Stone Cold Teddy. <laughs> Fat bottom teddies, you make the rockin' world roll round. <laughs> now now I feel like you don't know the song Stone Cold Crazy. I do, but I thought Bo's got that handled. Maybe instead what I'll do is I will swing and do another Queen song. Move away from the song that is literally the name we've given this character. Yeah, but we can take it and put it <laughs> in other songs, Bo. <laughs> We could, we could, we don't have to just do the obvious ones. Scaramouche, Scaramouche, can you do the Fandango? <laughs> All right. Thunderbolts and lightning, very, very frightening. Stone Cold Teddy, Galileo. I think that works very well. And I apologize for stepping on your spirit of improv. Yeah, uh, it's like crushing my dreams, man. All right, so every time you do that, bow, I'm one step further away from the stage. Well, then I may be doing us all a favor. Uh, Uh, Public service, yeah. (laughs) So we leave the train uh, where uh, Stone Cold Teddy, you know, has been, sorry, has given this bullet and gun uh, to our our poor technician and go to Laughlin, who has made his way to the map room, which they get fired up just in time to see a big red blip. Yeah. Coming towards like, the, the Mesa. He's got a great, once again, Lola's just like walking from room to room going incompetent, incompetent, cunt. Like that literally just destroying everyone. He is like, this is like, I get the, the feeling that he's arrived, he's having these interactions with all these different current Westworld workers and just going, yeah, this is why this place is turned to shit. Because you're doing that job. Because he walks in and one of the guys is like, "Yes, we've taken we've taken back the you know the park and we're getting back the code and all the rest and we've done this." And he turns around and goes like that. So there's no robots killing humans anymore. That's all sorted. And the guy's like, "Well, no." And he's like, "I fucking waste my time." <laughs> right. <laughs> just, like, just like out my face. I just love it. He's just such a fucking great character. And then yeah, the map gets brought back up just in time. Um, he's obviously spoken to Hale. Hale's told him exactly where um, Abernathy is. And we have to assume if you're a betting man, um, 
that when we saw episode one and the the you know the team arrives and they're looking for Abernathy and he's not there, maybe this is why he's not there. Dolores right. must break him out. Yeah, I mean that's all this is, right? Is a big scheme to break uh, uh, Dolores's father out of the clutches yeah. of Delos uh, because she yeah, knows how a, important he is. Yeah, a massive. Well, she. I don't think she knows exactly. How oh, right, right. She, right. Is. she just she, knows that they want him, right? Which means that she needs him, um, and she's taking a huge detour for from her mission because, like, we we hypothesized that maybe the man in black and Dolores were going to the same place. Man in black is definitely heading that way. Dolores has had to take a massive detour, detour. You know what I mean? To go and get her dad. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So like I, all this stuff is happening. There's bet, a, you I, know a shaking it. Oh. I, I was gonna say I like I like the fact that Laughlin is basically Peter Capaldi from In the Loop. <laughs> he totally is. <laughs> of just going around, just sneering at everyone and dressing them <laughs> down at every available opportunity with as much profanity as possible. And like oh, even he needs, <laughs> totally needs that other guy. What's the other guy's name? Oh, so he's he's Malcolm Tucker. What's the other guy's name? Oh, it's gonna annoy me. His partner, the other, the other Scottish guy, is one of my favourite lines in cinema history. Um, from the you know the the in the loop movie, um, and the guy's talking about the wall, the the, the newspaper. And he goes, Ah, yeah, Humpty Dumpty sat in the wall like some clueless egg cunt. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I didn't watch that movie again. Um, <laughs> so good. It, it is truly. Yeah, it, it, anyway, he is basically. Yeah, he is the he is the Malcolm Tucker of the Westworld universe. It's fucking amazing. It, but yeah, like they see the big red dot coming, and he's like, "Ah, oh, what the fuck is that?" And <laughs> they're like, "That's the train." And then we cut from. Uh, them to inside the cradle where Elsie yeah. feels the building shake. And Bernard, however, is still in the Westworld Matrix yep. where he is following Dolores, uh, mm-hmm. who is on her usual pattern of, you know, I'm going across the street and here's Teddy coming out to retrieve the can and all that stuff. But Bernard gets distracted by a dog because why wouldn't you? I mean, yeah. he's a good boy. And is he boo? Is he is he a Westworld dog? Is he a good Westworld dog? <laughs> and so Bernard follows the good boy into the saloon. <laughs> <laughs> and the piano is not playing itself this time, Duncan. Oh, no, no, much, there's someone playing it. Much as before in this very episode, you may recall another host slash person mm-hmm. playing the, the same player piano. Then it was Dolores. This time, Duncan, who is at the piano? Oh, well, well, it would be none other than our, our very, very good friend, um, Dr. Hannibal Lecter, a.k.a. Ford. Yes. Good to see you, old friend. Uh, he says when Bernard enters and we go to credits on this reveal of 
Anthony Hopkins at the player. Is back. Yeah, he's he is the ghost in the machine now. Uh, but or is they he? Or is said he just... that he was not. Yeah, he said that he was not coming back for this season. They said that what they were using, and they'd obviously got him to record some some voiceover parts they would play, which explains the the kind of flashback scene we saw of Arnold pre Westworld, and we you know the, when he's in the room and you hear Ford speaking to him, um, some of the digital manipulation that they've used, um, but. For all intents and purposes, they said that Anthony Hopkins would not be back in this season, which at first I thought when I saw just his reflection, I'm like, all right, so they're using, because they've done this before, they're using some kind of pre-shot footage from maybe a, the, well, one of the previous episodes and they've placed it there with, with that line of dialogue and that's fine. But then I'm thinking to myself, no, 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 because that's shit. The next episode, we have to see Anthony Hopkins. So he's back. Um. And he is you would he is the one that is anticipating the hacks to the code and stopping it, maybe, and also guiding the uh the the game with William more directly because that was a question we had is did yep. Ford somehow set all this up in advance, and that seems stupid, and the answer to that is no he he did not at all. it was him very much uh uh guiding it from within in this AI version of himself. And it's why he was so, well, not eager is maybe the wrong word, but why he did not appear to mind, mind the assassination. Do you know what I mean? It right. was, he had resigned himself very, at the end of that first season, he had resigned himself pretty much to it. And there was no great shock in his eye. I think he knew it was coming because uh, it's all part of Ford's master plan. But then it spins off the question, the Arnold Code, that exists is Ford going to unlock the Arnold code, and if that's the case, is he the one that is going to bring Arnold back to sentience within Bernard's body? Right. Like, does he make new Arnold? And I've got to think it must be a yes. I, you would it certainly has think to be, so. If our, if, our, if our theory is going to play out, um, then I think it's a yes, and that gets McKenna excited. Yeah, because we've never really seen Arnold and Ford working together on anything. Yeah, you know what I mean, all the stories we've heard has been the fallout afterwards, um, and we've never seen them working together, and that could be very interesting in itself. That is the thing I am most excited about: is the notion of um, being able to see these two actors who were so much fun together in the first season being able yeah. to bounce off each other again and the conversations yeah. they're going to have about sentience and consciousness and all kinds of crazy shit. Like all of that yeah. stuff I am incredibly down for. Yeah. And Ford has, well, we've seen it. Ford has changed his perspective greatly from, you know, the last time there was an Arnold and Ford conversation because Ford had said Arnold went too far. Arnold believed that, you know, he was heavily depressed, but he believed that maybe that these hosts were like a, a future species, you know, something that deserved everything that man had frittered away or wasn't entitled to. Um, and Ford didn't believe that then, but look at what has been wrought in those whatever 30 years or whatever that Arnold has been dead. Ford has very much become the catalyst of all that. 
Um, so you could say, on some level, has bought into Arnold's religion on things. So those two characters being kind of on side has got me excited. That's what I really, and I hope we get some of that. I hope they're not just, oh, look, Anthony Hopkins is going to be here for, you know, one scene and then he's going to, no, if you're bringing Hopkins back, bring Hopkins back for, you know, a good portion of, even if it's he only exists in the cradle and this is the only thing, you'd like the architect in the matrix, even if this is just a one and done, you know, info dump, let's have some good conversation, let's have some good exposition of where we're going with this. Why has Ford set things up the way he has? I'm not saying give us the full reveal, but let's let's start let's start filling out some more of this stuff here as part of the story. Because we have so many interesting stories. We have Dolores making a jailbreak for her dad. We got Maeve on the run away from you know this warrior tribe with her child who does not remember her. We have you know um, Bernard in the machine now with, you know, you know, just realising that he's now bumped into Ford, who's the mastermind be- behind all that. And then we have all the Delos shit, which is, you know, trying to hold on to Abernathy and take over the park and remove whatever's in Abernathy. So we have these four fantastic storylines, all four of which I am 100% into at the moment. Uh, and we are spoiled. The Westworld is spoiling us with you know, this isn't one thing where three of these stories are really good and one of them's bad. All of them are great. All of them deserve their own episode and I can't wait to see where we go. And the last four episodes of Westworld Season 2. Yeah, we are we are wrapping things up in this season in a lot of ways. Like, we have hit the peak of the mysteries, I think. I think it's all going to be a lot of answers from here. I mean, certainly, they're going to tease some stuff for the future seasons of the show and whatnot, but... You know, in terms of the arc of this season, we are seeing it all start to come together. And we're going to start to see Maeve and Dolores butting heads. Yeah. Uh, whatever's going on with Bernard and and uh, Laughlin and the crew inside uh, the Mesa. Um, as well as we're going to get at least some kind of resolution to Stone Cold Teddy's, who seems very aware of the fact that he is not the person he used to be and maybe isn't thrilled about it. Um, yeah. I, and we know where he ends up. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's, it, it's fascinating. I'm, I'm curious to see uh, where the show ends up, but I'm, I having such a good time with this journey. So um, we are going to uh, leave as we normally do with one quick, uh, discussion of what we're excited about seeing between now and the next time that uh, you and I sit down and talk about Westworld. Uh, Duncan, what you, what you got on the plate? Ooh, nice. Um, so, Bo, um, my intention before the next time we speak is to have made a start on the terror. That's, that's what I've, I've having heard you. Um, yeah, smoke on the street is wax that it's lyrical, good, Duncan. Yeah, yeah. Well, wax lyrical about it heavily on this episode. I want to get a couple of them under my belt. I think before the next time we we get a chance to chat um, on here. So that that's that'll be my big goal. Uh, I'm finishing off a couple of things on Netflix at the moment as well, which have been uh, like really good. To not quite sure what I make of this, but I've invested so much time, so I might as well continue watching 
13 reasons why uh, season two um which yeah i've got the feeling that i know where that show is going and it's going to be overtly grim but by bringing it back for a second season they've undone a lot of the things i really enjoyed about the first season so i'm kind of just hating myself watching that just now uh, but there are yeah there are other bits and bobs um what about yourself what's what, what's on the cards for Bo Ransdell? Uh, you know, I, I don't directly know. Uh, I know I'm, I'm going to finish up uh, Tokyo Vampire Hotel, um, mm. which I am now that I'm wrapped up with the terror has my full attention and I'll, I'll finish up. I think I, I'm only like three episodes in, so I've, I think I've got another seven to go. And uh, and that's been really enjoyable. And other than that, I feel like I'm kind of caught up on recent releases and whatnot. So yeah. I am 100% sure I'm going to watch something stupid like, uh, uh, you know, the Ouija Experiment 4 Ugh. pretty soon just because I'm like, you know what? I could watch this or Neon Demon. and Yeah, I know what you're doing. And I know you're just baiting me for, for some sort <laughs> of comment. Uh, uh, which I will not. I will not bite to this time. I will say that we are a mere what two weeks away from uh, hereditary, which is right. which is just round the corner. And if if the movie lives up to half of the buzz, we are in for a fucking incredibly the, the trailer for that movie. I've seen two different trailers now, both in um, the theater. And both times it has genuinely creeped me out. So, um, yeah, I cannot wait. Uh, so that's out on the 15th. So we will be able to have a brief discussion about this, assuming both of us get to see it before Westworld finishes in its entirety for season two. Yep. Uh, all right. So I think that's going to wrap it up, Duncan. Anything, uh, anything else that you want to say to the good folks before we get out of here? Uh, once again, just thanks very much for checking out the show. Thanks for all all the people that quote the stuff we're doing, that have fun uh, interacting, getting on board with the goofy, uh, putting forward your theories. Always huge thanks to to Darren Wilson for the many, 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 many funny memes. They they make me laugh every single time. And yeah, just the, the, the there are a lot of. A lot of people checking out what we're doing over here and hopefully you are not only enjoying season two as much as me and Bo are, but you're enjoying the nonsense that we're bringing to it as well. I would echo those sentiments, Duncan, and uh, and, and reinforce them with, uh, with love and, and compassion and uh, goodwill. Mm, there we go. Yeah. Nice. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, at any rate, yeah, uh, check out legionpodcast.com uh, for all things... Uh, this show and others and uh and if you would uh as always rate and review the show it it certainly helps us out and and helps uh more people find the show and if you're enjoying it uh we enjoy doing it i have a good time every time we do this it's always uh, a blast and if you agree uh then leave us a, a rating and review what are you too big for that <laughs> so aggressive sorry so, so wonderfully aggressive i love it (laughs) and and in that spirit uh let's just say good night duncan and we'll see everyone next week Uh, good night and everyone and stuff and things and bye (laughs) bye
Yeah. 